0: Today's episode of the Bill Simmons podcast on the Ringer podcast network brought to you by ZipRecruiter. They have the tools to make hiring more efficient and effective. The smartest way to hire, we like to work hard and smart here at the Winger. You know, we have something in common with ZipRecruiter. Yeah, they do that too. Four to five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at com slash BS. Meanwhile, Tecovis believes that Western goods could be accessible to anyone and everyone. Their cowboy boots are handmade with high quality full grain leathers by world-class bootmakers. Tons of time with styles designed to stay fashionable forever. Shipping returns, exchanges free and easy. They sent some mm-hmm. to me and Kyle. Man. It's like I'm, I'm a so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Wear that out on a Saturday night. You got I feel taller. Ones. I like the brown ones. Yeah, yeah, I like the brown ones. You, though, I liked your black Jet ones. Black. I wish we could trade. Get yourself a pair of Tacovas cowboy boots today at slash B S T E C O V A S dot slash B S. Also brought to you by the ringer.com, one of the world's great websites, the Ringer Podcast Network, where if you like this podcast, go check out the book of basketball. We did the second and last one this week. Tim Duncan. Versus Shaq and Kobe, game five, 2003, the great underrated game of the 2000s that includes a shocking ending. You can check that one out. People forget how close the Lakers came to a four-peat, not a three-peat. People also forget that the Duncan Spurs, those were some great teams. We also have the rewatchables coming Wednesday night. We did Vision Quest, the greatest wrestling movie of all time, one of the only wrestling movies of all time, but uh, part of our flawed rewatchable series. Ryan Rossillo and Chris Ryan on that one. Oh, and if I wasn't on enough podcasts this week, you can also catch me on Bachelor Party, the smash hit Bachelor podcast hosted by Juliette Lipman. Me, Juliette Malley, rubin we did a fantasy draft of all of the contestants of this season of The Bachelor heading into Bachelor in Paradise. It's a loaded draft class. I'll just put it that way. There's a couple of Zions in there and we broke all of it down. It is a Bonkers podcast and uh and I think we're all going to have to fire ourselves afterwards so check that out as well. Coming up. Jason Siegel. first time ever we had a really fun podcast talking about the last 20 years of comedy. And then speaking of comedy, the second guest I ever had, Adam Carolla, he's back. I don't know where he's been, but he's back. We talked boxing, we talked fake movies that we made up. Uh we probably had to edit some stuff out cuz he's always working hot. <laughs> we made fun of uh Jimmy Kimmel. Oh actually we didn't. He was afraid to. That's right. I wanted to make fun of it. He's just everyone's Jimmy's just untouchable. He's, he's untouchable now. He's like Vito Corleone. What a guy. Shout out to Jimmy. You're a great guy. Don't hurt me. Uh, all right, that's all coming up first our friends from Pearl Jam. This is great. Jason Siegel is finally here. We get to talk L.A. high school basketball yes. for a solid three straight hours. Yeah, I'm, looking I'm so ready. It. Yeah, good. You were doing, you backed up one of the Collins brothers. Yes, Jason. Jason in the mid 90s. Yeah, but yeah. that but what people don't realize in the outside world is this this L.A. kind of prep school basketball scene is really good. I was saying my daughter's – I was telling you my daughter's school has a seven-foot center, and they're not even one of the best teams. And this guy's, like, athletic.
1: Yeah, I had no context. I, I mean, I was basically just trying to emulate my brother. My brother was my idol, still yes. Yeah. growing up. And he played at public school. He played at um, Palisades High. Yeah. And he was just really good, and he ran pickup games every weekend and all that. And I just – I wanted my brother's approval so bad. But I went to Harvard-Westlake, which is sort of a yeah. fancy prep school in the Valley. Um, uh, but yeah, we had these identical twins, Jason and Jaron Collins. Were they both there or was there just one of them? You no, know, they were both there. Oh Jesus. Yeah, yeah. They were both there. And we were ranked like 20th in the nation or something like that, you know, all on their backs. But it yeah. was it was fun and crazy. I mean, it was so you were just the wet guy
0: who came in when one of them was in foul trouble, or yeah, did you play more than that?
1: I played a little bit. I, w- I wasn't that good at the actual game, but I was good at the <laughs> performative aspects. Like yeah. I, I I could jump really high, so I used to win dunk contests. Oh yeah, yeah. They called me Doctor Dunk in high school. That was the the newspaper called me that, and then it stuck. Really? Yeah, I couldn't do much else. Like I wasn't a good shooter or
0: anything, but I could just I could jump pretty high. Uh, were but- you into the whole? Th- like acting thing at that point too, and doing both paths, or you didn't know yet. So I was like kind of a secret actor. Yeah, um, I was a shy
1: kid, and I was also kind of a weird kid. To be just straightforward about it, and you were probably like six five in the ninth I was grade. Six, one of those four kids, since I was twelve. Yeah. Um and so I always felt a little bit like I had been invited by mistake kind of feeling. A pretty typical feeling yeah. probably at that age. But my parents enrolled me in an acting class when I was really young, um, Santa Monica Playhouse. And it was this after school program that was not for kids who wanted to be actors. It was for like kids who needed friends. Yeah. You know? Like the smelly kid and the tall <laughs> kid and the awkward kid. Right. We were all in this room together. <laughs> um but I really liked it. I, I really liked it. And I had a sense that I was good at it too yeah um but then i think in high school two two movies came out what's eating gilbert grape yeah with that crazy dicaprio performance oh yeah and uh primal fear with that crazy edward norton performance i just remember feeling really inspired super super inspired thinking i really want to do that um we had a fancy school, like I said. and We had this theater coach called uh, Ted Walsh, who's still there. Theater coach, uh, yeah, like theater director. We yeah, had the theater yeah, department, yeah. and we'd put on these. Sh- they would put on these shows that were really, really high class. Like he used to be Paul Newman's theater director back in the day. He was yeah. really good. This school, like, has the best of everything. There's an electron microscope in the science <laughs> department. Like, right. whatever you want to do, they have the resources for you. But I was like a, you know, I was a basketball guy. So I'd sneak in there and I would take plays off of the bookshelf and I would read them and practice them alone in my house like like shame acting uh, okay. <laughs> in front of the mirror. And then uh, one day I took this play off the shelf by Edward Albee called The Zoo Story. Yeah. And it's, it's a short play, but at one point there's like a 25-minute monologue from this one guy uninterrupted. And I really thought, okay, it would be really cool to see if I can even memorize this. It started with just could I memorize it. And, and I went and talked to Ted and he said, yeah, if you want to put this on, we can put it on in the small theater for just a little group. I'll direct it. So we rehearsed. I rehearsed sort of in secret from the basketball team because I was, I was shy, um, for a few months and we did this performance and without telling me, he invited the head of casting at Paramount Pictures to come watch the show. Really? Really? Yeah. I mean, this is
0: real. So you got freaked out if you knew. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And also sometimes, you know, I I like talk to kids and stuff because I write these kids books and they say, how do you get started as an actor? And I don't have a good answer because I got like blessed, you know? Yeah.
0: Um, And being out here probably helped too.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just I had everything on my side. Yeah. Uh, But about like a week later, my parents sat me down and said, we've been talking to Paramount Pictures. And if you want to be an actor, um, they're (laughs) – they're, they're ready to help you out. Um, and so that was my junior year and senior year I started.
0: And Harvard-Westlake is a really hard school. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's academically intense. So it's funny that you just went from there right to acting. Yeah. Though, it's <laughs> you like, could have the high school experience. could have been easier.
1: Yeah. They post the matriculation for everyone to see, like with names. Yeah. Like, this person's going to this school. This person's going to this school. And I remember I had decided – what I thought was like pretty cool. I'm gonna go do movies. Not even try to be an actor. I was going to do an actual movie. And on the matriculation, the head of the newspaper put Jason Siegel, school of hard knocks. <laughs>
0: like there's just
1: like no no respect for anything oh but
0: academic rigor. Yeah. That's hilarious. I went to a prep school that did the exact same thing. Oh, you did where it's like the cut co- when they trot out the colleges. It's yeah. It's like a big thing. And then they put it in the magazine for the school. Yeah. And it's on the last page, all that stuff. And
1: God bless them. Like the kids turn out amazing and go yeah. really far in life. I I always felt a little again, this this theme of feeling like invited by mistake has sort of run through my whole life and been very useful to me. Yeah. Honestly, you know, like that's the that's the tone of freaks and geeks and that's the tone of all the comedy I've written is a little like I don't I don't think I'm quite supposed to be here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. What was the movie you got? that you ended up not going to college for. Do you even remember?
1: Yeah, well- uh, Or did it get made? Yeah, there were three before I got Freaks and Geeks. One was called Dead Man on Campus. I was still a junior. It was about uh, people's first year in a college freshman dorm.
0: I'm positive I saw that, but I can't remember one uh, thing from it. That sounds about right. It's it a lot <laughs> yeah. of movies in the late '90s. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I,
1: was, I remember my my character's big trait was that he masturbated a lot. Oh, there <laughs> yeah, you go. A, yeah, it was. It was. It was. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of prep. And then, um, <laughs> and then the next one was called Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah, yeah, which was a lot of. So a, that one's a endured people,
0: uh, a little bit, I guess. So yeah, we. We do this podcast called The Rewatchables and that's been on the oh. list for a while. Yeah. And that one I'm watermelon guy. Yeah. That that one, you know, there was this whole high school movie boom. Yeah. Basically from ninety seven to 03, And that was one of the OG high school movies. Yeah. And it's got a lot of people in it. A lot of the people went on to be Yeah. You know, whoever.
1: Yeah. It was a cool time. It was a, uh, that period in movies too. I mean, movies have really changed what you can get made, but you know, you could make these kind of mid-level comedies. Um, they're not made so much anymore. Well, you know where they're made, Netflix.
0: Yeah. No, exactly. I can't hardly wait in 2020. I'm amazed they haven't just rebooted it. And I know. like, We're back. Yeah, totally. Um,
1: and then the third one, which was at what I view as like my first real acting professionally, it was called SLC Punk. And it was this movie about, yeah, yeah punk music in Salt Lake City in uh, in the 80s. Um and it was cool, and I lied on my uh, paperwork because this is pre digital age. I I was seventeen, but I I like got a fake ID and said I was eighteen, so I could work. And yeah. it all felt really, it felt cool.
0: Oh, I thought you were gonna say you lied that you knew how to like do <laughs> skateboarding stuff and things like that.
1: No, no, I uh, I lied about my age and like because people kind of do stuff. that
0: with sports movies all the time. Like, you, yeah, I'm great at basketball, and then yes. they show up and they like can't dribble
1: we just had that on my tv show without mentioning any names there so as a character it was very important that he'd be able to roller skate and this guy said expert roller skater right <laughs> and then he showed up could not definitely could roller skate
0: how have you not done or have you done a basketball movie that i didn't remember watching have you done it i did one
1: basketball movie it was a mock documentary before mock documentaries were really a thing like yeah. a little pre-christopher guest um called The New Jersey Turnpikes, and it was about the ABA, and uh, it never got released.
0: Oh, I was going to say, I don't know how I missed that one. Yes, it got swallowed up. New Jersey Turnpikes? The New Jersey Turnpikes, yeah. So you could have, if they ever brought back The White Shadow. Oh, fully. You easily could have been Ken (laughs) Reeves. Yes, fully. Could have pretended you had like the knee injury on the balls, and now you're moving back home to, all right, we'll put that- Put that in the pile over there, just in case.
1: Yeah, I played a little bit, um, like, one scene in this movie called Jeff Who Lives at Home. And I hadn't played in a really long time. And I was not good. Really? Yeah, I, was, I was not good at all. There was one—it happened in Freaks and Geeks, too, where I was just supposed to hit a jumper. It was kind of an integral part of the scene, like, Nick got it, got his— stuff together are we allowed to swear on this oh we fuck yeah okay yeah nick Andopoulos got his shit together and all i had to do in the scene is just like hit a jumper at the end and it yeah. took us like four
0: or five hours for right. it <laughs> um the freaks and geeks thing which has become mythologized over yeah. the years and turned into its own every anniversary and it's always like uh is you right what was that show two years no. One was, year?
1: Yeah. It was it was eighteen. One episodes, and a half? Thirteen episodes or eighteen episodes. That was like it? That. Yeah. We we knew that we were going downhill because there was a there's a craft service area, you know, where yeah. there's food um to eat during the day. And when it started out, everyone was so excited and there was like this, it was filled with meats and cheeses and, you know, like yeah. all this delicious food. And then by the end, it slowly got whittled down to like a box of corn pops and some creamer. Oh like, my oh, God. this isn't going well. And uh, yeah, so they did something really smart on Freaks and Geeks. I don't know how many people know this, but we had the sense we were getting canceled. All the signs were pointing towards it. Uh, and sometimes on TV, they'll just pull the plug. Like, you're not coming back next week. Yeah. And so we shot the finale halfway through the season and just held it. So that when they canceled us, there was an end
0: to the show. That's kind of morbid, but really smart. Yeah. Yeah. You can see the Grim Reaper coming, but you actually, everyone was smart enough to plan for it creatively. It was most of our first real big
1: thing. And so we had the naivety of youth thinking, like, well, even if this gets canceled, we'll go on to the next groundbreaking show. You know, we had no idea that it then gets hard and how how special and unique that little capsule
0: was. It's a weird time like, that basically mid-90s all the way through when Friday Night Lights was on. Yeah. Where you could have these shows that were just super beloved, but you still had to hit this ratings threshold. And then once once we hit the last decade, the 2010s, all that mattered was that your show was loved. Like they didn't measure it that same way anymore. But yeah. like the Freaks and Geeks was right in the middle of that where you had to deliver... A certain audience as well. I think. Or they didn't that, stick with it.
1: Yeah. And I think that also entertainment for a long time was, was very much about wish fulfillment and feel good, feel good TV and all that. And Freaks and Geeks was, was the tone of most people's high school. It was melancholy and uncomfortable. Yeah. And I just remember at one point um, they told NBC told Judd that like this doesn't feel like what high school feels like. And we realized that there was just a disconnect between whoever was giving that note and the rest of
0: us. But that was basically my so-called life five years before that, too. Same thing. Yeah. Eh, This is... it's like, no, this is actually what high school, like, it's sad and it's depressing and it's weird. Yeah.
1: They told Judd that they needed more victories. Like, next episode, we need more victories. So Judd wrote this thing, which I don't know if (laughs) if it's a fuck you or not, or if it is like our version of a victory, but Martin Starr is like terrible at baseball on this team. And then at one point he catches this fly ball and it's filmed and scored as like super triumphant. He catches it and goes crazy and his friends go crazy, but then you find out it's just like the first out of the third inning, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a catch of no consequence except to him. That's, that's realism to me.
0: Did you feel like with the, with everybody on that show that everybody was heading places or did you just feel like this is another job and I hope we all get to still work after this? Cause when you look back at the, some of the talent on that show and you go, Oh my God,
1: Yeah, I think that the first thing is much easier to say in retrospect. I don't know if you can actually feel that way when you're doing it. Yeah. Um, But I do think one of the things I learned, we all learned from Judd during that, is that everything is in the casting. Like, they did an international search for geeky, freaky kids. Yeah. So that nobody was faking it. Everyone was some version of the character that they were playing. And then I think the other thing about that show is – it was most of our apprenticeship. So it is the cause, I think, of a lot of people going on to be great. Yeah. we I, I mean, I learned so much just from working with Judd for, you know, all those years.
0: It seems like Dazed and Confused was a little like that too, yeah. where they, Linklater put so much time and effort and energy into who was going to be who in the movie. Yeah. And it just happened that he had great taste and a lot of the guys, you know, McConaughey and Affleck and people like that. But yeah. everybody's kind of perfect.
1: I think another similarity between those two things and Judd's whole ethos is it's like how honest are you willing to be on screen mm. even amongst set comedy pieces or, you know, like absurdity. What's the the most honest version of it? And like push for that. I think that that is what sort of has made a lot of us endure is how honest are you willing to be on screen? That seems to be the the big test.
0: Yeah, I, w- I would say that's a dominant theme in his movies, right? Yeah, it's somebody who has faults, but you like them anyway. Yeah, or somebody who kind of knows they're fucked up, but they're trying to get through it as it is. And
1: yeah, like, what does it really look like if you're a forty-year-old virgin? What does it really look like if you get someone pregnant unintentionally? <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, I wonder how many more, how many more of those he can pull off, though. I guess there's a lot of fucked up people out there. Yeah, and I, I mean, I I, think <laughs> I know that he's is, doing something with Pete Davidson now. That's yeah, loosely based on probably some of Pete's picadillos. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, and I think that too. As the creator of stuff, as long as you're doing constant check ins, you'll you'll keep finding stuff to explore.
0: What do, what do you think your big break was? Do you think it was that or was it something later?
1: I think it was Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it, Freaks and Geeks was my big break in that I learned everything I was going to learn and then my later relationship with Judd is how I got any of those movies made. Yeah. At one point, so I personally think, I've never talked about this with Judd, but I think when Freaks and Geeks got canceled early and a similar thing happened with Undeclared, there was a mentality of Judd, like Count of Monte Cristo, I am going to prove... Everyone wrong by making each one of these people stars systematically. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, like watch this. Right, I will prove to you that you were wrong. And so um, after knocked up, uh, Judd and I went to a Laker game, and and he had, he had instilled in us right, right, right. You know, um, and we were at this Laker game, and he said, "Okay, I think it's I think it's your turn now. Do you have a script?" And I said, "Yeah." I have this thing I've been working on, and I pitched him really loosely at a Laker game um, for getting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. Like two days later, he said, all right, let's make it. It was – again, it was not dissimilar to my high school situation where I think there was a lot of working hard involved, but I also got really, really lucky. And uh, so I think that relationship was sort of my big break. And then weirdly simultaneously, I got How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. And so I had this parallel – I had this thing on TV, which is very mainstream, and then I had these movies, which were a little more subversive, but still mainstream, going side by side. It was cool.
0: That whole era of comedy, which we've talked about a lot on different podcasts here, but that basically that 04 through kind of cresting with The Hangover, which wasn't just, but six years, where we kind of redefined. I guess it maybe started with old school, but then- Maybe so maybe it's seven years, but these R-rated comedies taking it to the next level. Yeah. And really good actors, really well written, just everything. Now I look back at that generation really fondly.
1: Yeah, it's a too. fun
0: run. Comedy,
1: unlike drama, which is consistent themes back to the beginning of time. Yeah. Comedy really goes in these cyclical phases, right? And so right before that era is the era of the like high concept character. Like the Ace Venturas, yes, you know, and then that gave way to this other era of comedy, which was people hanging out be that felt like your friends, yeah, like, oh, that I see myself in that group, um and then I think that sort of gave way to people wanting more of a plot, but for a little while there it was different iterations
0: of dudes hanging out, um, which, you know, and uh, it was it was the internet was around, but it was still fairly early internet yeah. and Definitely before Twitter. Yeah. And the thing I used to love about movies like that is when the characters, when they're hanging out and they'd be talking about something that, like, my friends and I had talked about. And I was like, oh, it wasn't just us. Yes. These guys, you see, they did that in the movie. We were talking about that. And there's a lot of, like, identifying that you would do through these stupid scenes that you would then watch a hundred times on Blu-ray or all that stuff.
1: It was a neat era.
0: I look back on it fondly, too. It was cool. It's... And there were so many good comedies. I'm not just saying this because you're here, but I thought I Love You, man was really good. Thanks. I and it's it. just like kind of, there's movies like that that just got lost because there were so many big, I mean, I don't remember if it did well, if it did mediocre or whatever. It, but, did, it did well, well yeah. enough. Yeah. But I think if that movie comes out you know, at a different time when people, you know, comedies every four, five, six months, you need one.
1: Yeah. My my big wish is that Rudd and I do a sequel to I Love You, Man, when we're like 70.
0: <laughs> Kyle, would you see that? <laughs> no doubt. Kyle liked that movie. Oh, that yeah, movie was really good. But it was, it was cool. like, it was at the tail end of yeah. 20 good comedies in the span of seven years or whatever. And some of them just got lost a little.
1: Well, I think there's only so many, that's like you said, there's only so many of those conversations you can have before they've been had. Yeah. Right? That seemed like that was a fun movie
0: to do. That was, my guess fun. was like, there was like a lot of ad-libbing and yes. all kinds of shit.
1: All those movies, there's a script that is worked hard on. You know, it's not it's not just like a loose blueprint. It's We all work really hard on them. But then there's this idea that you can't write anything as funny as the actor, if you cast right, like knows themselves and knows their yeah. moves better than anyone. And so then you then you let everyone do their thing.
0: And that was basically Apatow and Adam McKay. Those were big things for both of those guys. He's yeah. put funny people
1: yeah.
0: in a situation with the script, but then also let them kind of do their thing. But they both talked about that on this podcast. Like, yeah. yeah, this is the biggest advantage we have. If we have the right funny people and we trust them, more funny stuff will come out that none of us could have ever thought of.
1: Yeah, the other cool thing that happens is, I think Rudd and I did five movies together or something like that. <laughs> right. so, yeah, so by the time you're getting towards you know, three, four, five, you really know how to... It's like it's like sports. Yeah. You know what I mean? You really know each other's strengths and can set each other
0: up really well and all that. Was there a movie during that stretch where you were like, fuck, man, I'm right here. How am I not yeah. in this?
1: Well, sure. Although I was... I mean, it, The Hangover, I think all of us were like, oh, man. That <laughs> right. Was, that was a special one. But I was super busy during that time because... because you did the CBS show. I was doing the yeah. show. And so and I was also writing some of those movies and so during the year I'd be doing the TV show writing a movie and then shooting it over the break so I didn't have too much like f- like regret about missing out on stuff I was actually kind of the opposite I was feeling pretty tired
2: yeah
0: that makes sense yeah so that when how i met your mother starts yeah. and everyone's just comparing it to friends right away yes so were we and it was after friends was just gone, right? We were like the next year. We were clearly just right in. And everybody's like, hey, can I have some friends? Is <laughs> yeah. there anybody? Oh, these guys. Yeah. But it was a good show. And yeah. it, and I think it kind of held up at least people's expectations for if there's gonna be another show. What does that look like? And yeah. now I think generation generationally it it has become its own thing. I, it hasn't it yeah. that weird Netflix kind of hulu bounce back yes. that i think has kept friends alive for people like my daughter yes it, but i think it will though at some point
1: it, yeah i think it went on netflix and a whole other generation of people who now call me sir oh really
0: <laughs> yeah are watching it yeah
1: that's been the weirdest thing about getting older yeah people who i i am sure i look at them and i think they're my contemporaries <laughs> say like have a good day sir <laughs> that's freaking and you're like out.
0: you're 18 how yeah. do you even know that joke yeah so you think that show has the legs now cause i have sometimes i have no feel for this stuff unless my daughter tells me she got into a show I don't
1: follow too much either but i I think it's like back on people in colleges are watching it. It's on syndication everywhere like if you go to the gym it's on the t v right that's why I don't go to the gym it's it's from that
0: <laughs> that last era of uh if you could have a if you could have a comedy and it and it's on for five seasons. Yeah. And then it just prints money from that point on. Everybody yeah. tries to get to the 100 episodes. I don't know how it works now. I think I, you just get paid more right away now. I
1: think, yeah, I think we, we, we just missed the era you're talking about. But we, oh, we, think we all were late did late really, to it? really well. We were a little late to it. I remember recently somewhere Seinfeld was, it might have been the SNL anniversary, but he called out to Larry David saying like, hey, we got the last two di- two tickets to Disneyland before it closed. I think right, that right. era was the big the Seinfeld Friends era. The, how big was that show, like in its at its peak? How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, I think it was really, really popular. Big was Bang it like there the, Was it
0: kind of the number? Oh, Was Big Bang Theory bigger? More, yeah, yeah, much bigger. Yeah, I don't but know you were much, still in the bigger. conversation, though. So yeah. you were like, you're like the Rockets. You're a contender, but I think that's about that's a great
1: analogy. Absolutely. <laughs> no
0: rings, but you were you were, made the conference finals a couple of times. Yeah,
1: yeah. And Neil Patrick Harris was like James Harden. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> look at all those crazy moves. What it, what was what was the end for your character on that show? Uh, I became a judge. Okay, I can't remember if it was a Supreme Court judge, but I I what became Supreme Court judge, <laughs> yeah,
0: like appointed by Trump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I became like a big judge, man. Yeah. Ah, well, congratulations thanks, on yeah, that. Thanks. So maybe that comes back when you're ten years from now. Yeah. My judge, judge, so- sir, <laughs> judges. He's he's the only man we can trust on this Supreme Court. Yeah. He's Judge (laughs) Sir. He's back. Yeah, I like that. Hey, companies around the world are solving their most important challenges with Google Cloud, like PayPal, who's solving for millions of daily hopes, dreams, and financial ambitions. And Google Cloud is helping them achieve their mission to transform the prosperity and opportunity of millions of businesses around the world. With massive scale and processing power, PayPal is connecting Main Street to every street. Google Cloud, what are you solving for? Visit g.co slash cloud slash solving to find out more. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. We We didn't make that tomorrow, by the way. Judge Sir, yeah, just pitch it to somebody. All right, I will. Well, you're you're doing this AMC AMC show now that we have to talk about too. But yeah, yeah, Judge Sir, that's like your retirement Your retirement, retirement. Yes,
1: yes. After I Love You, Man 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this time (laughs) it's personal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you did the David Foster Wallace movie. Yeah, end of the tour. And I obviously, like many writers, super fascinated by him and blatantly, unapologetically stole his footnotes gimmick for both of my books. Um, Didn't do it as well as he did it, but was so fascinated by him. And he wrote, I think, a couple of the best nonfiction pieces of the last 50 years. Just the yeah. tennis piece that he wrote a couple other things. A
1: supposedly fun thing you'll never do again with yeah, like a yeah, cruise ship yeah. essay is, oh my God. Is amazing. The footnotes thing to me, because uh, I obviously had to read Infinite Jest for the movie. He is a complicated guy, as we all know. And yeah. I think the footnotes thing was, it was like a uh, barrier to entry for him. It was like a test. Yeah. How hard are you willing to work to finish this book? And there's a, There's this experience when you read it with a physical book, which I think you have to, of, you know, you'll be on page 30 of this 1,000-plus page book. So you're physically, you're, like, at the beginning of the book. And then you'll reach an end note, and you have to flip to the back, and then you'll read this punishing (laughs) 70-page end note on tennis. (laughs) Right. And you'll get to the end of it, and you'll feel some sense of accomplishment because now physically you're at the end of the book. But then, (sighs) You have to go back to page 30. And it, it's demoralizing in a way. And I, I personally think that it was intentional. It was this really complicated guy saying, like, how hard are you willing to work to know me? That's definitely that
0: book specifically. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, it was, it was, It's like 800 and something pages.
1: It's crazy. I, I think it's over 1,000 once you add the footnotes right. in. That was an experience, too, where I was in full— fake it till you make it mode. What would a real actor do? Yeah. In uh, prep. I, I, um, had no experience doing anything like that. I didn't know if I'd be good enough. I had this, I had this knowledge from doing comedy that if I get this wrong, this is going to look like a Saturday night live sketch. Okay. I have the glasses on and the bandana on, and I'm trying to do his voice. Like the, the chance of this being hugely embarrassing is really high. Um, But I thought to myself during that period, like how I met your mother had just ended. I was 34. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and career. And I thought, are you going to find out if you can do this stuff? Or are you going to be the guy who sits resentfully at a dinner party for the rest of his life and is like, well, if I had done The Revenant, (laughs) (laughs) you know? I just, I I have too many examples of that guy.
0: And I, I, we also have the entire internet because that's, yeah, yeah, Yeah.
1: exactly. And I'm like, you, you, you say and believe that you're good at this and you've devoted your life to it. Let's, let's find out. Like, go high degree of difficulty.
0: What was the family and friends' reaction from his end as you dove into this? Were they even happy there was a movie being made?
1: I I don't think so. I don't want to speak for them, but I, I, I don't think so. And I think that there was, and, fairly some skepticism that I was going to play David Foster Wallace. Yeah. Because there was no, there was no model for that. I could come anywhere close to being good enough. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was really healthy for me to feel like you really can't fuck this up.
0: You know? Well, you didn't. You it, it turned out well for you. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, out it, great. it was a very well-received movie. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, it's weird. Cause you, I think this happens sometimes with writers that you really like. You almost don't want to know anything about them other than the stuff you're reading. And I think that's become impossible the last 30 years, especially now that we have social media and things like that. You're always going to have insight on the person too. I think what was interesting about him, his stuff was so personal, but I also didn't really know that much about him. And the only clues you could really find were in his actual work. Yes. So it was one of those things, especially after he died, where you're just like, man, And you go on this deep dive and you read all these different things about him and people knew him and you still didn't really have a feel for him. I think it's
1: why the movie, that particular movie is really interesting in that it is – it's a real three or four days that he spent with this Rolling Stone writer where – it was all being recorded by the Rolling Stone writer, David Lipsky. So we had the full recordings and it was the closest you can get to seeing what someone like that is like at rest. Yeah. And it took like a day for him to get there because he's, he's on guard for the first, you know, period. Um, but he says this thing, he says this thing in there that really stuck with me that I think about a lot. Uh, he says to David Lipsky, it's not in the movie, it's just on these recordings. Um, we all have this other voice. It's the voice that either tells us we're doing fine or that we're a piece of shit. Yeah. And I've realized that my job is to make friends with that voice. I think about it all the time. It's like, a good one. Yeah. Yeah. This this constant war we're in, in our heads, like that's that's going to be the l- most intimate relationship we have our whole lives, isn't it? But he ultimately—
0: I mean, he couldn't navigate that war. It was one of the reasons he had so many issues. It was like yeah. he was so far in his own head.
1: Yeah. Well, um, there's a great commencement speech he gave called yeah. This is Water. And you
0: watch it,
1: and I think that what makes it so accessible and profound is that it is someone talking to you on your level about some really important ideas because you know— that they're struggling with these same things. They're not talking at you. It's not, a, it's not an enlightened philosopher telling you this thing that always feels unattainable to me. It's somebody who I know is right where I am at times of, man, this shit is more complicated than I thought. I did all of the things everyone told me I was supposed to do, and I still feel really confused or scared or this impending sense of doom. So what do I do now? Right, you know, because it seems like checking things off this American list isn't gonna isn't gonna get me there.
0: Yeah, yeah. We did a rewatchable about forgetting Sarah Marshall last oh, year. Cool. And did a I did a we have this whole we have categories and did a whole bunch of research on it and yeah. all that stuff. So I knew some of the uh, how appetite was just basically like yeah, man, go yeah, go write this now. But I think what's what's really cool about that movie. All these years later, is how fucking rewatchable it is, and that's why yeah. we did a pod about it, cool. where you can kind of, you can kind of dive in at any point of the movie. Yeah, if he's in Hawaii, it's like, oh, this part. Oh, yeah, all right, I'll stick in for fifteen minutes, and then Rudd comes in, and it's like, oh, Rudd's here. All yeah, right. and then you're kind of sucked in for an hour.
1: Yeah, that was a special one uh, for me too because I, uh, I was really unsavvy. Mm. And so I wasn't writing from any place of strategy, you know? I was just writing what I thought was good and what I thought was funny. The movie ends with a lavish Dracula puppet musical. Right. You know, it's interesting because when I talk about Dispatches, I'm not trying to segue, but there was a part of me when I started to write that where I thought to myself, man, at 35, which is when I started to write the show, "Uh, you don't have the balls to be the guy who wrote the Dracula Puppet musical. Right. Like something along that decade became too conscious of trying to uh, have stuff be popular or successful or any of that. And it was really helpful for me to think about both the full frontal nudity in Forgetting Sarah Marshall and the Dracula Puppet musical where I was like, just do what you think is really interesting and funny and would make you laugh and like what you like, you know? yeah.
0: I watched it with my daughter. Oh, no. No, no, no but no, no, hold <laughs> on. Knowing the two scenes, I'm really good with the, I really want my kids to be funny and have sense of humor yeah. and I want to watch, and I don't want to watch like the watered down yeah. TBS version. Yeah. So I'll know what scenes. So it's like, oh, here's a scene where he's going to be naked. I'm just going to fast forward this She'll, You know, I'm like, look away, fast forward, go to the next scene. Yeah. And then there's a scene where they're both having sex in different rooms. Oh, I'm yeah. like, all right, we're fast forwarding over this, but. So it's like, you don't need to know what happens here, but there's some sex. It's like, great. And then I forgot you got naked again at the end. Yeah, I get you at the end, So we're just watching it all of a sudden. I was like, (laughs) oh, no!
2: And she's like, dad! It was fine. It was fine. We
0: worked it out. But yeah. Yeah. But but no, it's, I mean, for the most part, it's only a couple scenes. But what I learned is uh, just do the Comedy Central version. Yeah, the airplane version. Yeah, they're much better at Cutting that out. Did you know what you had with Mila Kunis in that movie? Because she, at that point, she's just a TV actress. Yeah. She hadn't sh- shown that she's somebody who could lead a movie, and then she like jumped off the screen in that thing.
1: Yeah. Um, well, we did. We did improv auditions with everybody.
0: Oh. Yeah.
1: Um, and And nobody was nobody was famous enough at that point to not do the auditions, which was really helpful actually, because we could see what the chemistry was, yeah, a lot of times if somebody's already successful they they're like an offer only, and so that's when much more faith is involved but we we improved these scenes, and she was just she was just so no bullshit, yeah, in a way that was perfect for that character. Kristen Bell was perfect for her character, and then the big surprise was Russell Brand, because yeah. that part was written to be a uh, like an uptight British author, like yeah. a Hugh Grant type. Oh, that I was really like really straight laced and buttoned up, but just way better than me, you know. And uh, and so people were coming in and they were doing these fake British accents and trying to be real posh and all this, and Russell came in. I'll never forget in his full. Russell Regalia and sort of sat down and he said, um, you'll have to forgive me, mate. I've only had a chance to take a cursory glance of your little script. Perhaps you should tell me what it is you require. (laughs) And I was like, oh, it's this guy. Yeah. This changes everything. This has to be the guy. Yeah. And so this goes back to the lessons of Judd. So then you rewrite. Yeah. You You don't try to change Russell Brand into something else. You write towards him. So we rewrote the whole script, Nick Stoller and I, for um for Russell. And I, I honestly think that's why the movie's successful. That that character is what makes the
0: whole thing elevate. And then the the fake NBC procedural yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like you could have made like 20 of those. Yeah, I think we made a couple more, but we There's some on like the Blu-ray or something. It's my right? favorite thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who has that idea? And then you that you probably become obsessed with that, right? Oh God, we gotta Oh, I thought yeah. of another one.
1: I wrote a rough one. I think I wrote Crime Scene, Scene of the Crime, and I think Nick Stoller. <laughs> I think Nick Stoller wrote <laughs> Pet Detective or whichever mm. that one that was. Um we're pet psychic or whatever, uh, but it was really fun to think about those. Those are easy. Procedurals are really fun to make fun of. I there could have been twenty of those. Yeah,
0: Nick Stowers done a lot of stuff since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's did great. you catch him early with that? We worked together on Undeclared.
1: Yeah, he was a writer on Undeclared. He read. Uh, so we all read each other's scripts back in that back in that time and give each other notes. And yeah, we do these big table reads where all of the this little community we had would come and. Give notes. So Nick liked the script and said, "Hey, I I think I I know how to direct this." And so that was a match made in heaven. I had never starred in a movie or written a movie. Nick had never directed. So like we were, yeah, truly, yeah, it was perfect in a way. You know, we didn't know we didn't know that it was hard.
0: Push you stumbled into the Adam Sandler formula of if you're going to film a comedy, go somewhere awesome. So smart. I feel like we tricked everyone. Yeah, I, really, I mean, that's I, Sandler. Every three movies, he's yeah. like, "I'm going somewhere I've always I know. wanted to go." I don't know if I caught him out on that in this podcast. You did. I was like, "Come on."
1: Yeah, he's like, probably pretty open about it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. To me, I say it's integral to the plot, but. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, they have to be in Hawaii and specifically Kapalua. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, I mean, it, it was a dream come true. Like you said, I, I mean, I think that era of movies is sort of gone. I, I don't know that you can do, do that kind of stuff
0: anymore. Yeah, people, when Todd Phillips is making the Joker yeah. <laughs> movie, that's, I think. I think we're in a weird place with comedy. Yeah. What happens when you're on a show like uh, How I Met Your Mother and it's successful?
1: Yeah.
0: And you're making money and it's great. And everyone says how like you show up for a sitcom. It's actually a great gig once it gets going. You're there. Set hours. You only have to perform one time a week. And at some point, some of the people, either with that or with the drama, they're just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And they'll try to get out like fifth season, sixth season, maybe like in the case of like Sherry Stringfield on ER, she tried to get it after three seasons. She's like, right. I don't want to do this anymore. This sucks. Yeah. What happens to people mentally with that? Were they just, are th- is it like you don't get challenged by it or w- yeah. w- what's going on?
1: Yeah. Well, I I had it right in front of me actually. Like it wasn't hypothetical. So I was doing these movies over the break and doing the TV show during the year and there was definitely a huge part of me that was thinking, oh, I could just be doing these movies. And, and it's just
0: more interesting or it's I, more I th- money or both?
1: Um, the money. No, it's not the money because the money on the show is really nice. Also, yeah. I think it's more the um, for me at the time, my my perspective has really changed with some distance from it. Yeah. But at the time, you're 26, 27 years old, you're a kid. I felt like. I was working with the cool kids in the movies, yep. and that the TV show was very mainstream, and uh, that there was something cooler about doing the movies. Yeah, it's only with some distance that I look back as like a grown man and think, "Oh, you, you hit the lottery both, both financially, but then also like those were the nicest people in yeah. the world. Um, it was like a really loving environment." We took care of each other. It felt uh, it felt really special at the time. I had a little bit of a hard time seeing it because I thought, like, oh, what what I could be if I if I had
0: total freedom. Because they had to like talk you into going in the, into the last season, right? Yeah, you're pretty much out. Uh,
1: no, no, no. Well, I went to go do a couple movies on the last season, and so my schedule became really difficult. But they accommodated me. They were very very kind. But yeah, I think by you know by the time you get to nine years, that was longer than I'd spent with anybody, right? Except my family. Yeah, I mean that's like twice the length. It's like any being married. Attended. Yeah, it's a really long time.
0: They're like, hey, what if we make you a judge? <laughs> <laughs> you get to wear a robe. You can decide a case. I didn't. I never saw it until now. That's exactly what yeah, they. Did. Like, he'll, be, he'll be a man of esteem. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I
1: want to be taken seriously as an actor. No problem, Judge <laughs> Judge Sir. <laughs> yeah.
0: You seen a show called Judging Amy? It's really special.
1: Yeah. No, and you know the other another thing about ten years at that point because it ends up being around ten years. That was 24 when I started. Yeah. And 34 when I finished, and so I was like a. It was like suddenly a man. I was a a whole different person, and you know the the premise of trying to find the girl of your dreams is really interesting at twenty four. And I think by the time you reach thirty four, I had some life experience and wanted to make art about different stuff.
0: And your family was in L.A. this entire time. Yeah, Yeah. so you're just. Working in LA as a super successful actor, and then you could be like, "Hey, I'm coming over tonight, Dad."
1: So yeah,
0: I'm coming over for chicken tonight.
1: You know, what? I didn't do it enough as I wish I had. I do it a lot more now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my brother was in Boston. Yeah, ah. yeah. My brother uh, was, uh, was. My whole family's Boston. We have a clothing store out there called Mister Sids in Newton. Really, yeah. Newton? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, shout out to Mister Sids. Uh, that's like three generations of seagulls. There's like. I don't know some huge number what of are, my relatives. Mr. Sids there.
0: isn't tuxedos, is it? It used to
1: be tuxedos. Oh yeah, I,
0: re- I, th- I feel like I've rented from Mr. Sids. Yes, yes. When I was
1: living there. Wow. Yes, they've now expanded into all wow. sorts of, all leisure kinds wear. of leisure wear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what um, you were big in the tabloids back then. What was true and not true? What was it like reading about your stuff? And people saying this, that, the other thing. He's oh. dating this. He's going through whatever.
1: Oh, uh, I never look at any of it. Did people in your life go, hey, man, what's going on here? Not in relation to tabloids. Yeah. Just in relation to being my friends or my intimates. (laughs) You know (laughs) know what I mean?
0: Well, you're a single guy in LA. You must have been thrown. That was the height of the Us Weekly era.
1: Yeah, it was a really weird time. I feel like that all calmed down a little bit when, uh, when, when the iPhone was invented. Because people were sharing their own pictures and their own Instagram and their own Twitter and all that.
0: Um, Yeah, I think social media killed Robertson Boulevard. That's one of my weird theories. Yeah. Remember, Robertson Boulevard was such a thing, and the celebrities would walk down and it would be like Paris Hilton was outside the Ivy today. Yeah. There's a picture. Now it's like Paris Hilton could just take a selfie and there she is.
1: Well, it would also just be living your life. Like you get photographed uh, coming out of like a grocery store. (laughs) Right. And the thing about being, when someone jumps out and takes a picture of you is you feel like you've been caught.
0: Yeah. Like you've done (laughs) something
1: wrong. Yeah. And so there's like an hour where you're like, is, is what just happened? Okay. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, you're, you're, everything's fine.
0: I was, Affleck was always holding a Starbucks coffee coming out of some Palisade Starbucks. Yeah. And it was, I was like, Ben Affleck, He's just like us. He gets coffee. I'm like, really? It's like kind of hard to believe that worked as a model, as a magazine just for like 10 us. years. Yeah. Yeah. Look at Ben Affleck. Ve- He's getting his garbage. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. My life's very calm now and it is much more like Jason Siegel in another plaid shirt.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, there's not, not much to report Jason on. Siegel getting a green tea. Yeah. Is that Buck Mason, what you're wearing? It is Buck yeah, Mason. Yeah, a, there you a go. A lot of Buck Mason be, myself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Buck Mason. Shout out to him. Men so, of a certain age. Tell the AMC what's going on with this show. And How, how, uh, how many episodes is it? What are we supposed to look for? Is it on demand? It's not on demand yet. I looked for it last night.
1: No, it's no, no, no. It hasn't come out yet. It starts March 1st. Right. After walking. I thought they would put the,
0: put the first one on demand, but no, God forbid.
1: I think they do actually after it airs. I think it airs and then you can get it. I'm I'm not sure. So give us the one minute explanation of the show. Sure. Uh, what happened to me in real life was I couldn't figure out what to write about. Yeah. Uh, and I spent a long time trying to figure out what I wanted to write about. And then one day I was I was walking down a street and I saw a flyer on a lamppost that said uh, dolphin communications testing. And I'm interested in stuff. I had a hunch that it led somewhere, but there was nothing pointing you towards it. Yeah. So I called the number and it turned out to be part of this very weird social experiment that was happening in San Francisco at the time. Really? Yes. Uh, and... Basically, I went through this induction, uh, and by the time I was done doing this strange experiment, I knew what I wanted to write about. So it's about uh, four people, myself, Sally Field, Andre Benjamin, and Eve Lindley, four different people yes, in four states of existential crisis who participate in this really unique game experiment and are trying to find the thing that is missing in their lives.
0: Is this a show that could go on for nine seasons, or is it like a short? This is uh, show? ten episodes. And that's it. Yeah. Did you tell Sally Field how incredible she was in *Smoking the Bandit*? I told Sally Field how incredible she was every chance I got. She doesn't get because she's won Oscars and stuff. Yeah. So the smoking the bandit type roles have slipped through the cracks. Yeah. But her and Bert, all time. Yeah, they're the best. They just. All time that movie is just him driving around in a fucking car with a truck behind him. There's no plot. Yeah. And Good it's just like, hate, like five minute scenes of him and Sally Field just flirting with each other. It's like, this is great. Yeah. Like, this movie never gets made now. She's a badass. Like, she really. It, is. It's
1: very easy to think of Sally Field as like sweet Sally Field, but she is a, she is a badass woman. We're like
0: Forrest Gump's mom.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, is she in Steel Magnolias? She's been in,
0: I mean, she's had an amazing career.
1: Yeah. So in addition to that persona, she's also
0: just, she's um, really amazing. When um, I was growing up, it was her and Meryl Streep. Maybe Sissy Spacek, I can't remember. But there was like, uh, there was only a couple of kind of monster actresses that you're like oh if there's a really important part it will be one of these people that yeah.
1: get it Sissy Spacek took a big break but she she earned, did yeah Sissy Spacek in Badlands is like perhaps yeah.
0: my favorite performance and those were kind of the, the three yeah um all right, so the white shadow. Yeah, we'll figure that out later. Judge along Sir. with Judge Judge Sir, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those two. Yeah, and then your show starts March first. It starts March first. It's two night
1: premiere. So we have the first episode on Sunday night after Walking Dead. Second episode after Better Call Saul, and then uh, and then it's it's once weekly after Better Better Call Saul. But the show itself is an adventure that mirrors what uh, I went through the real experiment. So it's. Uh, as much as you want to be involved in the show, we let you participate. Oh, good. It yeah.
0: sounds really interesting. It's cool, man. Funniest person you've ever been on a set with? Oh, wow. I think that Jonah Hill has the
1: most encyclopedic knowledge of, like, references. Perfect yeah. references for any joke occasion. Yeah, Interesting. Like, as fast as fast as anyone
0: I've been around. Best actor you've ever worked with? Oh, I've worked with a bunch of really amazing ones. But I, I got lucky. Anybody that made you feel incompetent or insecure about your own acting because they were so ridiculous? I was I was in awe of working with Robert Redford. Oh.
1: Yes. What was that? Where was that? I did a movie called The Discovery, a Netflix movie, um a few years ago where Robert Redford played my dad. And there are some Jesus. Yeah, it was really cool. I've worked with a lot of great actors, but there were some moments when Robert Redford would go what I can only describe as full Redford. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Where he turns to you. It's like the turn is perfect, and then the smile is perfect, and the conflicted look is perfect. And I'm like, oh.
0: Jesus. Right.
1: Yeah. It's like, oh, you're full Redford right now.
0: I've been watching a lot of 70s movies because I'm – I've just worn out the movies from the last 30 years. Yeah. I just have nowhere to go with any of them. Yeah. So I've been circling back, and I just watched him in The Candidate, which is a really relevant movie for right now just because we're in this whole election process. And the themes really aren't that different yeah. of how you basically try to blow up somebody's candidacy. And he is amazing in that. Yeah. I think you could release that movie right now, and people would not be disappointed. He's also a guy who's been doing it
1: right for his entire career. Yeah. He also talked about getting in at the right time. He bought a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he owns a mountain next to Sundance.
0: <laughs> you know, you did well when you're buying mountains. Yeah, I think they're all taken. Like, yeah, now. I didn't
1: take that mountain.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, good luck with the show. This is fun. Thanks. thanks for being on.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. I had a blast.
0: All right, before we get to Corolla, chances are you've heard of Salesforce, but if you're like a lot of people, you don't know exactly what Salesforce does. Well, here's what they do. They bring companies and customers together, different employees across different departments, say Steven Sales, Mary Marketing, Katie Customer Service, whatever. They all get a single shared 306 degree view of each of your customers. That means two things. First, whenever your customers talk with any of the people I just mentioned, they'll feel like they're having a relationship with one united company not a series of disconnected departments, which is important. Second, even more important, all those people I mentioned have everything they need to make your customers happy, not just a little happy, happy like, wow, I love this company. They really get me. You know what else I love? One of my oldest friends in the world, Steve Bishop, he worked for there for a while and still works there. And, uh, and I've mentioned him in these reads and people have come up to him and been like, hey, are you the bish from from Bill's podcast. Cause I know him. he's my sure friend Bish. That. He actually, I think he's okay with it. Nice. I think he liked the, uh, the little positive notoriety, but yeah, that's Bish. And at some point, if, if we do more of these reads, I'll tell the story about how Bish got a four on his AP bio exam <laughs> because it's an awesome story. I should just have him in and tell that story. When your customers are that happy, everyone's happy. That's how Salesforce brings companies and customers together, like it's a four and an AP biotest, if that makes sense to learn more, visit salesforce.com slash learn more. And now, without further ado, Adam Carolla. All right. Adam Carolla, say we're taping this on a Monday. He recently celebrated his uh, 40th anniversary of masturbation. 11. splint on your hand. 11. I, well, God. I, he
2: really celebrated it. No. Well, this is good. Good timing. <laughs> Crazily, 11th anniversary of podcasting today, 11 years. Really? And I thank you because I don't know when I did your first podcast from your garage. I know exactly when it was. your own house. What was that date? It was uh, May 2007. Wow. So I started... When I
0: didn't even have two microphones in my little guest house, in my house in the back, and you had to call in from my landline and wander around... Stood out the in backyard, the backyard,
2: twenty feet away from me, and we did a podcast that way. <laughs> early, te- early technology. I couldn't stand in the room you were in because it would feedback over the mic. Right.
0: So you're just wandering outside. And I think, the I
2: think people forget there was a thing between the phone that was mounted on the wall in the kitchen and your mobile phone. There yeah. was a phone that was a cordless phone. Yep, and that's what I was using. Right. Back Um, in the day, standing in the driveway. All right, crazy. So now I'm 11 years in, you're 13 years in or so, something like that.
0: This is going to be
2: in May, it'll be 13 years. But when you, Jesus Christ. So you were doing your radio show. I was doing my radio show. I would stop by on my way home from the radio show. Right. I would go by your first house out in the garage and then your second house in the den
0: basically yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: we move from the garage or you move from the garage really to the primitive den. equipment
0: now the equipment's actually pretty nice though anybody can start a podcast and it can sound pretty decent well back was, then not the case
2: it was funny i want to do this thing called rich man poor man which is something i came up with when i was at kimmel with yeah. you i think a million years ago and i'll I'll launch into it, or maybe I'll just get into it now, because the podcast... Rich Man, Poor Man? Yeah. Does Kyle know that one? The podcast kind of reminds me of this. (laughs) Uh, Doing a podcast. So a million years ago, it's a game I play on my podcast, and people tweet me them all day, and they make me laugh. So so when we are at Kimmel, and we're sitting around the writer's table, you know, 13, 15, I don't know, 15 years ago? 15 years ago. 15 years ago, uh, I was sitting there, and I thought... An outdoor shower. I thought, if you're taking an outdoor shower, you're either super rich or super poor. With no in-between. No, the middle class doesn't take an outdoor shower. You're either by the pool cabana, just had a tennis lesson, and you're (laughs) you're showering off or in your front yard just made of dirt, and you're standing in a tub with like a busted hose. So this is rich man, poor man. And somebody tweeted me, building your own podcast studio. It's like rich man poor man. You're either physically making a studio or you're in your apartment and you got a folding table and your mom's yeah, helping you set it up in the kitchen. And, yeah. Right. All right. So you ready for rich man, poor man? That's a really good rich man poor man. Um people give you clothing and hope you wear them, like the red carpet versus the goodwill. Oh yeah, um, like when like Beyonce's at the Grammys. Right, you get free clothes and people hope you wear them. Or when you donate free clothes to that family, you know, you hope they put them on. When you go into a fancy department store, somebody who works at that department store runs toward you screaming, may I help you? That's a rich man, poor man, right there. You have a refrigerator in your yard. Could either be Amstel lights in the back next to the pool and the tennis court, or there's raccoons screwing in it and it's just (laughs) laying open. But it's refrigerator in yard. Um, (laughs) Here's one you have to think about, but it's very true with me. Never eaten at an outback steakhouse. I was too poor. To afford an Outback Steakhouse, and now I'm way too rich to eat in an Outback Steakhouse. We're going to Morton's or Laurie's or whatever it is. I've I, never eaten at Outback Steakhouse because I've been too poor and too rich.
0: I did Ugly Delicious with Chang uh, for mm-hmm. his Netflix show. It comes out, in I think, March 6th, and we went to Outback Steakhouse. That was our thing. It was about different ways to make steak. I had never been.
2: Ironically, It was though, really but, good. But you may have been rich man, poor man, too, without... Outback Steakhouse. Like True. When you were twenty three, you couldn't afford Outback. Steakhouse. I, I ne-
0: I've never been in my entire and life. Now
2: you, you're too. You're too wealthy. All right, <laughs> thank you. Uh, <laughs> drives a car that no longer exists. A car make that no longer exists. Oh, like a Meaning, DeLorean. So no, like yeah, like Leno drives a Duesenberg around, and my stepdad drives a seventy four AMC Matador, but both <laughs> defunct. Rich and poor. Um, has had sex near a fountain. (laughs) Picture that big fountain at Griffith Park. is it the Kennedy compound in Martha's Vineyard. or It's not not a middle class move. I'm (laughs) saying it's either a compound or it's the fountain off of uh, Los Feliz in Griffith Park and you're just on the ground. Right. You know what I'm saying? Possibly in the fountain. I don't know. (laughs) Leaning <laughs> against the phone all right i got a uh, couple more greatly affected by raising the minimum wage you either work at the taco bell or you own 128 of them right i got uh, i got one more um lives next door to a rapper you're either with kim and kanye in calabasas or you're in some miniature apartment in Van Nuys and you got some white kid next to you who's too super skinny and 14. He goes by the handle of Mayonnaise and he's like rapping <laughs> all day. Mayonnaise. That's my white rap name.
0: <laughs> mayonnaise.
2: mayonnaise you know, my with son's rap name is Melatonin. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. <laughs> All right, so uh, those are my rich man. I like that you immediately launched into your act. I, I wasn't I, expecting that. I I've been really, you know, the thing that's funny about rich man, poor man. I've been screwing around with it for a million years. Now you're honing it like a like a golf swing almost. And, and like ten years ago, I was in a parking lot on um, CBS Radford, and I go, I saw Jerry Seinfeld. Like I was like, oh, there's Jerry Seinfeld, and I know him. Like I don't really know him. But maybe we know who we are, and he just walked right up to me and he goes, "That rich man, poor man bit—that's your bit, like that's your that's your signature bit." And I'm like, "It is." <laughs> <laughs> like I just screw around with it, Jesus. But I started thinking, you know, who you gonna, you know, no one, you're gonna take notes from Seinfeld and stand up. So I just started. He pressed down, right? I felt like you had a lot of signature bits. <laughs> that's the <what laughs> problem. A lot means none.
0: When we found each other in the Kimmel writers room, I'd never had anyone else in my life who was willing to talk for 45 straight minutes about terrible movies on cable.
2: Oh man and no, that I, was really how we bonded I got one plan for you today man oh you
0: are you doing a fake movie later
2: I got a fake movie later and I I look I don't want to you know you always want to uh, under promise and over deliver yeah and I want to manage expectations but I think you're going to love this great. You're going to love this We have
0: a lot to talk about. Well, you were going to watch this anyway, but I wanted you to watch Wilder Fury, the rematch on Saturday night. It was the most anticipated heavyweight fight in a long time. It was a fascinating event that lost me money, as always. Mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out a way to lose money in sporting events. And now Fury is looming, now that he's got his shit together. Right. As pretty much the most imposing... Heavyweight champ we've had probably since Lennox Lewis when we thought Lennox Lewis was really good six nine two seventy has his shit together in a lot of different ways now, has the ringmanship, has power. yeah he can clinch with the guy and then put the guy bend him down and just kind of wear him down and I'm not totally sure how you beat him the way he looked on Saturday night.
2: You know, there's certain guys, I think, I always said this about, like, John Jones in the UFC. I said, nobody's going to beat John Jones. John Jones can beat himself. He can get into drugs. He can get into trouble. He can run around with the wrong people. But as long as he stays focused and trains and is healthy, no one's going to beat John Jones. And turns out he did get into trouble, and he did screw himself. And he still hasn't gotten beaten, but it screwed him up a little bit. I feel like Tyson Fury is like, I'd say the same thing about him. If he trains he doesn't drink 37 diet cokes a day and stays focused i'm not sure who in this modern era is going to beat him i don't think anthony joshua is going to beat him know certainly ruiz is not going to beat him i mean there's a couple of guys out there but i don't think so because he has skills for a guy who's that long so boxing is like gymnastics, you know, like gymnastics, like a bunch of guys that are five foot seven because guys that are six three can't tumble that way and can't do all that. And boxing historically was always that way. You see the middleweight guys looking like real sharpshooters and stuff, and you see yeah. the heavyweights, especially when they got into the super heavyweights, they look kind of clumsy and gangly or whatever. He's a guy who's six nine, he has a wingspan like a condor, and he has form. Which you never formally saw. Like in the past, Mike Tyson, you know, five ten and a half could beat a guy who was six five because the six five guy was like too gangly. Yeah. Then Lennox Lewis was like, and and then the Klitschko's were like the first real tall guys who also had form. He's now taken it to the next level. There was a knockdown in that fight where he switched from an orthodox stance to like a southpaw stance, sort of in the middle of a punch, threw a left hook and then went right to the liver with with another left. And you don't see really long heavyweights, like super heavyweights, doing that shot where they take their bad arm, their left arm, they throw a good hook to the head and then go right back to the body with that. That's middleweight activity. So if you're going to have a guy like that, who's that size, who has that kind of reach over everybody... Good luck. I watched it again to prepare for this and
0: I was so surprised by how easily he was able to get two punches in as Wilder was was loading up his right hand. Right. And Wilder's plan was like, I don't mind taking some punches because eventually I'm knocking you out with my right hand. And just every time Fury was one, two, one, two, moving forward, had him had him moving back and was just quicker it, each time for a six nine guy. That seems like impossible.
2: Yeah, and also when you're Wilder, and and, I mean, we saw it with Tyson at some point, when you're used to being the bully and then you get bullied, you just don't have another gear you can shift into. Yeah. You're the bully. That's how it works. Once Buster Douglas starts coming out there firing jabs and throwing the right behind it, you don't really have a plan for that. You You have the Michael Spinks... I'm going to go hide in the corner plan, right. but you don't really have the guy coming after you. And while that's a
0: good, the Douglas thing's a good example because that whole fight, he's just beating Tyson. Each time they're about to exchange, and Mike thinks, oh, I'm going to get him this time.
2: Douglas, like, one, two, boom. Yeah. And Douglas is a, a guy who's fighting Tyson when everyone else is scared. So, Fighting Tyson back in the day, it used to be like being abducted by terrorists. If you're like a camera crew in Baghdad or something, it's like yeah. you got one chance. Once you get into the van, that's it's over. You know, and you go, well, what are my chances outside of the van? It's like not very good, but that's your chance. Right, you know, get up there and trade and throw haymakers. If you're in there trying not to get hurt. Tyson walks you down and destroys you. And you watch a lot of those Tyson fights. A lot of those guys made the decision to they're, get in the get in the van. Right, like they didn't want to just go out and throw a haymaker. They're moving backwards. They're moving backward. They're looking out for stuff, and they get dropped every well, time. Well, Wyder
0: didn't want to move backwards, and by you know after he got nailed a few times, all of a sudden was going backwards, and he was going against the ropes and doing stuff that. All, all, I hadn't really seen him do Also,
2: before. I can tell you from being hit behind the head. Right. He was never the same. By anyway. Mario Lopez. <laughs> I sparred with Mario Lopez once, and he clocked me behind the head real good. Yeah. You get hit behind the head, you're not right for a week. Right. Like, you get busted in the nose, busted in the eye, busted in the mouth, it hurts. Hit behind the head is super, you're disoriented for a long period of well, time. And that's why it's illegal. That's why it's illegal. And the thing about it is, is they do it, and then the ref goes, hey, man, no more of that. Meanwhile, the, the guy's on, on, on Mars over there because right. you just hit him. When that shot, you thought hit him in the ear, really hit him behind the head, and he went down, you feel like a weird little electric shock go through your foot when you get hit that way. like It's yeah. a, literally like your circuits get disrupted. And then when you get up, I don't care how much toweling off and sponge water you get in the corner, you're not right for for days. You've been concussed.
0: Well, I'm. I, I it's gonna be too hard for me to find the text I sent to Sal, but I was talking about the fight over the weekend. I was like, I think Fury's a fraud. <laughs> I don't believe in him at all. I think this is ridiculous. I think Wilder is going to absolutely knock him out. Yeah, my bet is on Wilder minus one ten by knockout. Yeah, Fury has no chance. This guy is going to be in the WWE in six
2: months. I, I, I couldn't have been more I wrong. I picked Wilder, knockout in the seventh.
0: You think Tyson Fury, if he gets, if he keeps his shit together,
2: he's 30, he's here for the long haul. He's 30, 31. He's young. Do you for, know what's for crazy? Heavy, for
0: heavyweight. He is basically the same size as LeBron James. And I think right. LeBron might even be 10, 15 pounds heavier than him, but he's 6'9, 270. And you just think like, in the NBA, this guy's a power forward. Right. In the yeah. NFL, he's actually too big to be a tight end. Right. He So, if he's going to have the ringmanship that he has, I don't really, and, and he keeps his nose clean and all that stuff, I don't really see the game plan to beat him. Uh, I, I guess you trade punches with him and hope you'd knock him down first. That's about it.
2: I I think that if he stays clean and stays focused and also heavyweights you can fight to your 42, you know. Right. He, he, and he's 30 or 31. I mean, he could have a decade long reign. He yeah. he he really he really could. And I I don't know what, you know, I you know maybe Wilder could change up some of his training and put on a little his muscle corner. or yeah. something and come back, but it's also when you've been beaten down, like when you've when you, when you've really been disrupted emotionally, like while they're like, I don't know if he comes back f- emotionally from this. You know, right. he'll come back physically, but it, he, when you really get busted up, it, it's tough. It's tough psychologically to come back. I want to talk about fatherhood with you. Yeah, your kids are thirteen. Yep,
0: you've twins. Yep, I have a fourteen-year-old and a twelve-year-old. So it's like we're even. Yeah, we're pretty much. combined <laughs> age. <laughs> at some point, it, it's adorable to have kids for years and years. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, they just become people who are renting a room in your house. Yeah. And, and occasionally you cross paths with them. They're not right. that interested in hanging out with us anymore.
2: No. As a matter of fact, sadly, when I was driving in, I was just listening to the, the Kobe Memorial. Yeah. And they were talking about his daughter and his other daughters. And I was like, they're so much better than my kids. <laughs> right. Like They love doing homework. They helped each other. They spoke Mandarin. Yeah, they, they, were, they, they, they hugged all the time. I, I felt the same way. I was, I was like, like, I have a terrible relationship with my kids. Apparently. Kids in his room playing Fortnite. <laughs> and when I walk in, he yells, get the Grubhub guy and bust it in. <laughs> And then he yells, good talk, talk to you in college. Like, what the hell? Who's, Now I I get it. Like, maybe there's a little hyperbole there, but all I could think of is these kids were so much better than my kids.
0: Do you think we would have been the same way with all the devices when we were 13? I mean, tougher for you. I was probably a little closer to my parents than than you were. But I, I, I think there's so many ways to just disappear now with all the technology. You don't even really need human interaction.
2: I literally said to my son last night when I walked in and he was wearing his, you know, time-life operator headset and looking at his phone and battling someone. <laughs> talking in, to somebody
0: who lives in, in the, Ukraine the Philippines. With, for four,
2: <laughs> yeah, probably talking to some pedophile in Ukraine who thought he was 13, you know. Right. Was going at. I just looked at him and I said, and he's got the... He's got the Shake Shack burger containers, like stacked up pyramid on top of his desk, all spent. And I just looked at him and I said, look, I'm being serious. When you're in therapy later, don't blame me. I told you to get away from this. I said, stop it. Go outside and, you know, kick a hacky sack around or play some ditch or something. So remember, when you're like sitting with your therapist, don't pin it on me. Don't do that thing where it's like they should have never let me. Don't. I tried a thousand times. This is your decision. Leave me out of it.
0: Well, it's so funny The the 40th anniversary of the Olympic hockey team was. This I watched weekend. it last night. Yeah, and then Miracle was on all this stuff, and I have a really hard time explaining to people under 30 what like a transformative moment it was, and it mostly had to do the fact that we didn't have a lot to do in 1980. Right. We had yeah. like the 10 channels. We no, were, it on a Friday you might walk down to the local dump and look for Playboys and baseball cards and sure. Sports Illustrated. For this to fall out of the sky, this amazing underdog story, where it was on tape delay, we didn't have the internet to get it, to have it ruined. Well, and this amazing thing, and, and then we all got to share it with each other. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me.
2: You know, it's interesting back then when there was you know three stations and they didn't have the internet and all that kind of stuff. No video games? It took the stuff that were... Zero burgers like the Dukes of Hazard and the Love Boat yeah. and all that kind of stuff, and turned it into a forty share on TV. You right. know, like it took the stuff that was a zero and made it into an eight, and then the stuff that was actually something like the American Hockey Team that then just turned into an eleven. You right, know, that just was the biggest thing ever. So it took stuff like you know this nation hockey today. I mean, Cold it, War. it'd get a little traction in t- today's world, but my son wouldn't be moved by that 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 event. I'm not really sure what would have a collective impact like that
0: from a sports standpoint. The closest thing we have at this point is the Super Bowl, but you're never going to have an underdog
2: situation like that. And if right. we And if we did, both you and I would probably end up losing money on it. I was watching that, and I forgot the 30 for 30 on it, and I forgot they pulled the goalie. I mean at you know during the during the break they pulled the goalie and it was two two. Like, all right, he gave up two goals. Oh like, yeah, it, they they the greatest goalie of all time, they Tretiak. Why do just they took him out? I get that they're sending a message, but send the message after you guys win the game, not during the game.
0: The Miracle movie, which I was against when I heard about it, because I was like, Fuck you, you don't we don't need a movie about the greatest moment of all time. I'm really glad it happened now. We I like Kurt Russell as Herb Brooks. I think, I think we they did a good that job that together, it? together. Oh, we definitely did. In Italy. The worst movie we saw together was Troy. We saw that together? Yeah, it was almost like a grinder date. It was like, Let's go see <laughs> oh, Troy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Brad Pitt's I, I, of- I thought it was The Marine. I thought The Marine <laughs> was the worst movie. I kind of enjoyed The Marine. Troy was yeah. bad. Troy was actively bad. I was sitting with uh, Chris Morgan, who writes all the... Fast and Furious movies and produces yeah. all those things. And he's a real nice guy and he's a neighbor and we, we just hang out sometimes. We'll just go to the local whatever and have some, have some martinis on a Saturday and just talk. And I remember once I was saying to him a few months ago, I was like, um, uh, you know, I'm, it's just weird thing. Cause I'm like, I love Fast and Furious, and then I'll go. I love bad movies, but not not that bad. Right? I mean, not your not movie. Yours, not yours. Not yours. I mean, I like other. I go. I go. I go. Me and Bill Simmons went to see The Marine. That's how much I love bad movies. He's like, Yeah, that was my movie. And I was like, Oh yeah. You got to be careful because these guys yeah, had true. careers. Like they did things before they did their franchise. You, I, you know what I mean?
0: I didn't see Twenty One Bridges in the theater, but to me, that's like perfect wheelhouse thing. I had this night, it was Saturday night, my son had a sleepover, my wife had to go to some event and my daughter was on a date and I was home for like three and a half hours. I'm like, it's time. Twenty one bridges. Right. Bozeman. Right. And uh I, I just wish those movies came out once a week. Yeah. It was everything I wanted. It's not gonna win the Oscar. Mm. There's, you know, there's Maybe some bad cops, little J.K. Simmons, Sienna Miller with an accent. Mm. Um, you know the heist gone wrong. Yeah, always when a heist goes wrong, I'm always there. Yeah, it was just good. It was solid. I just wish they made more of them. I wish Netflix their algorithm, which I think is just turning out true crime, horror movies, rom coms, but yet when they do like triple threat and these different with the one that Frank Grillo was in and things like that, I was like, just more of those know the I figured, algorithm to make those. I
2: figure I know the new algorithm for Netflix and TBS and like all USA. Today. I realize that if you add a mother's nightmare behind the title, you'll just get everyone to watch it because <laughs> all, all, because we have a problem, which is, our wives don't have real problems. Yeah. So they have to sit around and watch shows about kids being abducted so they can actually create problems in their head. And if you look at these things, every single one of them is tagged with a mother's nightmare. And once you hear a mother's nightmare, all the women are drawn in. Is that, does that explain the Lifetime movie slate? Yeah, they literally changed one of the names of their titles to a mother's nightmare. Like that's that's that sucks in all the moms. They all want have nightmares. Do you go
0: on lifetime runs? Cause I I will go on runs where I'll just start watching them for two straight weeks and it's always, you know, the nanny that comes in. Basically they try to keep remaking him that rocks the cradle right. in many different ways. But it's always the nanny, but the mother has a has a back injury or she's coming off some Mm-hmm. medication thing or something and it's kind of kind of loses control of the steering wheel at home mm-hmm. and the nanny starts coming in on the dad a little bit yeah they just remake that 97 different ways yeah and it seems like every time it has an audience
2: I don't get it the uh nanny not coming on to the Husband is a father's nightmare. I'd like to start producing that stuff where we get like, remember Tiger's ex-wife, Elon? She moves in and doesn't find me attractive. Yeah. A father's nightmare. What if I do? The cold nanny. A father's nightmare. We have those situations where like I'm in the kitchen in my bathrobe and she's making the kid eggs. And she goes, don't you think that's a little inappropriate, like being in the bathrobe? And I'm like, it's my house. And she's like, could you change? And I just slink out of the room. A father's nightmare. I like it. Let's start developing.
0: Remember that Shane and Tweed Skinamax movie? Yeah. Where she hooked up with everyone in the house? She was the nanny with the fur. It was- it was a married couple with a son. Yeah. And at some point there in the movie, everyone became involved with Shane and Tweed. It's I think it's called be,
2: Scorned. It's, it's you know, what to do today if you're like a former playmate or a nine, but you're 37 years old. Like in the old days, you had Skinamax. You had like this whole middle ground of pornography. Or where Baywatch, you could, you could maybe. Do, yeah, you could do an arc on Baywatch, but there was all like... My tutor, my whatever, like you're the person. And if you're willing to show a little booby, you can get paid. Now it's either nothing or you got to go porn or like
0: full porn or like social media influencer, I would say would be the third path.
2: Yeah, but I don't know who's who would be listening to Shannon Tweed today. Well, so like what is Denise Richards would be like
0: this generation's Shannon Tweed, right? Yeah, she's. Kind of, mm. I guess maybe you do reality. Maybe you end up on like Real Housewives.
2: Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah, watch yeah, those shows, or
0: the... you stay away from those
2: shows? I, I watch those shows just for this moment. Just, just for this moment, I uh, lay on top of my bed. That's uh, you, that's full leisure, by the way. When you're on top of all your bedding, but not you know I mean? not under any shoes. not under anything. Yeah. Certainly not under any obligation to do anything. Just laying on top. Yeah, you got your wife next to you the only reason I watch those uh, real housewife shows is when at some point my wife will find the housewife she doesn't like and she'll go look at her she lays around all day she's got a full time nanny she doesn't even have a job she doesn't even make her kids and I go uh huh Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Let me write this down. <laughs> By the way, you're not yelling this down from the roof because you're cleaning the gutters. We're just laying on top of the bed, and the nanny's in the other room making eggs for the kitchen. I find it ironic. You know, that's what's that's what's in it for me. I like that moment.
0: My wife is watching Love Is Blind on Netflix. Uh huh. <laughs> it's a show where two people nobody can see each other. Mm-hmm. But they spend a lot of time talking, and they form these connections, and they decide they're in love, and then they meet. Yeah. And then it's like, you're not going to believe this, but it doesn't go as well after they meet is, is I, how it
2: plays out. But it's like 12 episodes. The show that, ever, that that I feel like my computer and my cable TV package wants me to watch, but I just won't watch it, is Naked and Afraid. I've I've... I've done a tour of duty on that I, show. My feeling is like I have shows on the internet called Naked and Humping for Free. Like, <laughs> I will watch that show. Naked and Afraid is like seeing some fire ants on some guy's junk, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's a, it's a deal breaker. I'm like,
0: amazed by how much they blur out on those shows. Because remember, like, you've been in a lot of editing bays. Mm-hmm. They're dark. You always feel bad for the editor. He's in there for 12 straight hours. Um, right. There's, like, some fast food over on the right, and the yeah. guy's just, like, he looks like he's doing a tour of duty, basically. Right. But you add in just blurkeling people's junk for <laughs> right. six, seven hours. where are like, hey, uh kind of saw that guy's sphincter in this one. Can you go back and fix those seven frames? I saw a hint of a red eye. Could you take that out? Like... They talk about PTSD with the people that do the Facebook when they get rid of the videos of that. I think the editors who do Naked and Afraid, that would be in the same vicinity, right? I would have PTSD from that. I wonder,
2: and PTSD, I'm glad you brought that up because it's a theme of my made-up movie that we're teasing. But I wonder if those guys have that PTSD, and like, I wonder if they have a syndrome like... If you do terrestrial radio, like I I did terrestrial radio for like 14 years, right? Mm. And then what'll happen is you'll find yourself sitting at a bar with your buddies, having a few beers, like watching a game, and you'll go, listen, I don't give an F or two S's if that C word wants to give a GD. and And they go like, why don't you just say the word? And you're like, oh, I'm so used to saying F and S. Yeah, you're so used uh, to GD. deleting yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm editing and deleting. Like I'm, I'm blurring, I'm tiling myself out because I'm so used to saying it during the week that I can't shut it off. And I wonder if that editor, when he's suffering from his PTSD, like goes back, to his home, and when his wife steps out of the shower and wants to become intimate, he sees her genitalia tiled (laughs) out. It's a giant (laughs) blur. It's a giant blur. Like, he can no longer enjoy his wife's form anymore because every time he sees boobies, it just looks like a cloud. (laughs) It could be a syndrome. You know what I wanted to talk to you about? I haven't talked to you. (laughs) Blurkle syndrome. Blurkle syndrome. I have some syndromes from you, too. I haven't... Do you know that... uh, I I suffer from um, uh, my wife su- suffers from canine hydration disorder, which is she's obsessed with the dog and the water and any dog and any water. Oh, like making I'm,
0: sure they're hydrated yeah, properly. I my dog
2: down the street and had middle-aged women pull over and offer bottles of water for my dog. Like, w- once a woman hits 40, she becomes obsessed with the hydration of their dog. And when my wife isn't, like, when she leaves for two days, she's like, she doesn't say anything. She just goes, you make sure Phil's got water. He's got to have water. Like, why doesn't he have water? Like, she'll come back and go, why is it a the kitchen could be on fire. She'd walk, like, right past and go, there's no water. in Phil's, so she has female canine hydration disorder. That's a good one. And. I, I'd like to invent this because everyone's getting me too'd and everything. Oh, I'm, I'm Kyle. Get the edit button <laughs> I ready. I have RCS. I have restless cock syndrome, <laughs> which I think many men are <laughs> afflicted with. Are just constant adjustment? It's just, I, I don't know. You're it never, just, it, never, it never feels like it's in the right place. <laughs> I, it always wants attention. You know, it acts out like, I could get a note from Doctor Drew that say we all have restless cock syndrome, and it would cover a lot of RCS lot of troubles. Yeah, restless cock syndrome. <laughs> Three point eight billion men are afflicted with restless cock Especially syndrome. Especially in the summers, it gets oh, really yeah. tough. Yeah, balls get involved. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my balls can't talk them down. Not with the restless. Not with the RCS. If you suffer. <laughs> Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, and I hope you are, it's a pretty good podcast,
0: you have to admit, check out the Bachelor Party podcast if you love The Bachelor, hosted by Julia Littman. I'm actually on that podcast this week with Mallory Rubin. We did a fantasy draft of all the possible Bachelor contestants that could be in Bachelor in Paradise. The podcast is completely insane, If much like that show. You can listen to that. You can listen to Music Exists our new podcast with Chuck Klosterman and Chris Ryan that is exclusive to Spotify. You can also listen to the hottest take, which is exclusive on Spotify where me and Corolla are popping up a couple times because nobody, I mean, his whole life is a hottest take. We did a couple that you can hear on that feed as well, only on Spotify. Check all those out. Don't forget about book of basketball. Don't forget about rewatchables. Don't forget about all of the awesome podcasts we have, especially heading into, um, the basketball playoffs here because we got JJ Redicone, we got Vince Carter going, we got the Ringer NBA show, we have Rosillo's pod, all these different avenues talking about basketball. Check all them out. The Ringer Podcast Network, you can find us on Spotify as well as on Apple, and Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. All right, back to Corolla. Two things that I've been dying to talk to you on a podcast Ooh. about. First one, the only person I know who hates the concept of dogs on airplanes more than me is you. Uh-huh. I did a hottest take about, uh, unless it's a service dog. Right. The people that have now decided, I'm going to get a note from my buddy who's a doctor. Yeah. Now I get to bring my golden retriever on on the plane with our family because we don't want to pay for the, the dog to get boarded for a week. Sure. Uh, but we really need this dog. And you just see these people with their golden retriever in their lap, or they're sitting in first class with a seat for the second seat for the dog.
2: We've lost our
0: minds. It, it, I love
2: animals. We both have dogs. We've all lost our minds with the dog thing. There's a, I've been on a few flights. I was sitting in first class. There was another dog in first class right next to me, just right across the aisle. And another dog was walking to coach. And they got into like a <laughs> class warfare battle. Like they scrapped it out. At my feet. Like, they were going at it. Yeah. The dog who was going into coach didn't like the the elite look on the first class dog. <laughs> and it's insane that there's a dog fight on a plane. I would say. There's also, when we have our next major commercial airline disaster, they're going to have to do that thing where it's like 286 passengers Uh, nine crew members, and 51 dogs. Like They're going to give a dog body count on the next commercial flight, right? And I think both of our wives would be more upset about the dogs. Oh, all women (gasps) I know will be 51 dogs? Like, honestly, like if you go... If you said 300 people died on the plane and nine dogs, they'd go... Ooh, yeah. That's part of that hydration syndrome we're talking about. But I had two things. I had... I was flying to Seattle. You know when you sit in the very front you have the bulkhead just against you and you're in the very front of the plane and you put your backpack down and they go, sir, you can't have your backpack there. You have to stow it up above you because there's no seat to slide it under because there's no seat in front of you. Me and Mike August got yelled at for putting our backpacks in front of us. Meanwhile, there's a medium-sized Labrador (laughs) across the aisle laying against – And all I'm saying is, is if there's an emergency and we have to exit the plane, what's more difficult? Like stepping over a transport backpack or stepping over a 90-pound dog who's on the move, panicked, running up and down the aisle?
0: You would think the the goal of a plane would be if there is chaos, you would want the people in the plane to be as controlled as possible. I'm positive that
2: dogs can Would not be a great and idea. And then also, what about the nut, the wackadoodle, nut job, middle aged broad who you're trying to get off the plane, but she's Did you going say broad? Broad. I'm being pejorative. <laughs> We're not to say that anymore. I called her a wackadoodle. I called her a nut job, <laughs> and now I'm calling her a broad. What are you, like Jackie Gleason? These are pejorative. <laughs> She's going to circle back and go for her dog. She's not going to want to hit the inflatable slide. She's going to want to make sure she's got her dog with her.
0: I was just watching. Don't ask why, but uh, my son- dame needs to (laughs) be banned from the airport. Listen, Missy. Yeah. My son and I were watching Amityville Horror with James Brolin. Yeah. Which I still feel like is one of the great horror movies of all time. It's also terrible. Oh, but- But at the- And he slowly goes insane during the movie from the
2: house. Sure. The house drives. Nobody
0: ever makes the larger connection that, oh, five people were shot to death in this house a year ago. Maybe there's something wrong with it. About two thirds of the way through the movie, they figure out that the gateway to hell is in the basement. They still don't move. Right. And he's (laughs) unraveling, losing his mind, and finally almost ends up killing the family, snaps out of it. Blood starts coming out of the stairs. Goo's coming out of the toilet. And they're like, we got to get the fuck out of here. Like, they're gathering the kids. They're just sprinting out of this house before it kills them. They're in the van. They're about to leave. And they're like, what about Larry? Larry the black lab. Mm-hmm. And all the kids are looking at him like, Dad? Gets out of the car. He goes to get That's Larry. Right. goes into this house that is combusting, has the gateway to yeah. hell, has blood goo coming out of the walls. Larry! Um, goes, finds it, falls in the basement, falls and gets Larry, brings the dog out, and I'm I love dogs. Not I'm out much. of there. Oh yeah, I would have never had a dog in my life that I'm like, you're right, I, we should go back,
2: get no. the dog. It's an no. amazing dog moment. If I was walking my dog and you pulled over. And you said, I'll trade you this burrito for your dog. <laughs> I wouldn't say yes, but I would say what's in the burrito. Right. Like, cause you do at least ask if it was a pork burrito with fresh guac. And where's it, it from? Yeah. If it's Chipotle and it's up the street, if it's Taco Bell, I need three burritos. <laughs> if it's Chipotle, I would ask. I'm not saying i trade. i just say I was asked. Yeah. I got a good Brolin story for you. Here's why. Well, you, you and Josh. Oh, yeah. Oh, Josh, no, this is a James.
0: But I mean, you and
2: Josh, you've gone out a couple around. You've hung out with Josh. He's a fun guy. Um, bro, <clears throat> here's how I know we're doomed when it comes to the whole climate change thing. Yeah. Okay. He lives in uh, Malibu with Babs, right? Um, Barbara Streisand is very much invested in the movement. You know, climate change and recycling and and all the ozone and and the Green New Deal. She's very much invested in that. I like when people are invested in that, but then they also fly by private plane. Yeah, and they also live in like 16,000 square feet, (laughs) which is like probably burning a few kilowatts. But she's into the movement. He came to do my podcast. He goes, when we were done doing the podcast, he goes, You're a car guy, right? I'm like, Oh, yeah, I'm a car guy. I showed him all the Newman race cars and everything in the other shop. He goes, Well, check out what I got. He's driving a fully loaded 2016 Ford Raptor. The Ford Raptor is basically a trophy truck, like a, like, like a, Like 500 or 1,000 miles of Baja, Baja 500, trophy truck, just street legal. And then he goes to me, you know, I got to 2016. And I said, well, why didn't you get a new one? And he goes, oh, because after 2016, they switched to a turbocharged V6. This has the V8 in it. And I'm like, oh, it burns more fossil fuels. (laughs) Like, the guy who's married to Babs couldn't even drive an off-road truck. First off, nobody needs that off-road truck in Los Angeles. True. But he's still driving an off-road truck, and he's driving the one with a naturally aspirated V8 in it, which gets much worse mileage than the V6 with the turbo.
0: I have a Jeep question for you.
2: Yeah. So,
0: you know those... uh the, what are those, the Land Rovers from ninety? the Defenders? Defenders, yeah. From like 94, 95, 96, 97, and they're like impossible to find online. They only mm-hmm. made a few of them. Jeeps that basically become convertibles, but they're sturdy. Right. And then the Jeep Wrangler has tried to make their version of this, but it's not like the Mac Daddy version. Right. Why hasn't one of these companies made the Mac
2: Daddy Jeep the well, there's au- awesome
0: version of those. There's a
2: lot of aftermarket companies you could right. bring your stock Jeep to and yeah, have but, it what, but done. Yeah, but why
0: do I have to do that? Why can't...
2: Why doesn't Jeep do it?
0: Why can't they just make like an awesome one? Well... Why do? Why does everyone have to soup these up? This is my car yeah. question of the day for okay.
2: you. Okay. Um, about 12... Ah, God, 15 years ago, uh, VW came out with like the Phaeton or something. a VW and the it Phaeton. had... The Phaeton. Yeah, I think it was called the Phaeton. And it was like a sounds v. like a new casino. It was like a W twelve cylinder motor in it, and it was like hundred thousand dollars. And it was probably two thousand and five or seven or something like 04, that. I see. What's that? O four here. O4, right? And the sticker price was like ninety seven thousand dollars, and nobody would pay ninety seven thousand dollars for a VW. So that was it. That's, That's our it. answer. So they go. Who's going to pay one hundred and four thousand dollars for a Jeep? Because so many people are into the brand, you know what I mean, the the label. So, so Genesis Genesis just became Genesis. They're not Hyundai Genesis anymore. They're just Genesis because they realized the Hyundai was holding them throwing down. People off, right? So your answer is probably Jeep doesn't think they can make their money back on one hundred and seven. Thousand dollar Jeep, but Jeep can sell a forty six thousand dollar product, and then you can take it somewhere and pay them fifty five thousand bucks. That makes sense. I knew you'd be able to explain that to me. How many cars are you up to these days? Hmm. I have twelve Paul Newman race cars now, and I'm up to I don't know, maybe twenty five or something, twenty twenty five overall. This is
0: like you could have just bought like baseball cards, and it would have just been so much easier. It. Instead, you have these cars that you that are super expensive and you have to store in various places. Mm-hmm. But this is like this whole market that it's you and like nine other people are at
2: this whole other level of car collecting.
0: Uh, yeah, I well... I can't imagine anyone has more Paul Newman cars
2: than you. No, do. no, I don't think anyone has more. I don't think anyone has three Paul Newman cars. Um, but... You know, I drive them. I mean, I race them too. So I get to at drive point,
0: them. At what point do you have to retire from racing? Because I feel like my reflexes, I turned 50. I feel like my eyesight and re, you, you remember yeah. I'm one of the world's great drivers. Do you? What? I don't
2: know. You, you saw me oh, in action. We drove home from Vegas. You made it in three hours.
0: Yeah, it was, I'm one of the
2: great ones. But yeah. now I feel like I'm past my prime. Well, Newman drove until he was like 82. Like he was able, it's ironic that I have all these Newman cars, but he drove until 82 It was on the side of his car. What ends up happening is what you lose a little in reflex and eyesight, you kind of gain in experience. So you, 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 I don't know. in In a weird way, it's like, I guess it's like being a quarterback when you're 30, six or something. Like you kind of lose the the legs a little or, bit, but you're 43 in Brady's case. Or Brady case. But you, you know the game better. Yeah. Like there's an element All of right, that. That makes sense. there's an element of like knowing the game better.
0: Um speaking of Brady and football, we're now a couple years into this Rams Chargers experience. Mm-hmm. And you you're a Rams fan. Mm-hmm. Although you're really a fan of whoever you gambled on that week. Yeah, but I like the Rams. We're building grew this up out here. Yeah, you're a yeah. legit Rams fan, but um, they're building this giant stadium
2: that looks like it's going to end up costing like six billion dollars. And yeah, it's like two. I think I heard it was like two point something billion. No, that's something. what it was
0: supposed to be. Oh, that's but what now we're up to toward five. Oh, right. Because yeah. it
2: was way more expensive than they thought. Right.
0: The weirdest part of this whole thing is that the Chargers are involved. Mm-hmm. It's like people don't care about the Clippers, but at least they're relevant because they've been here a while and right. it's an NBA team. Now they have Kawhi. Um the Angels, they're in Anaheim. There's like Angels fans are just different than Dodgers fans. It makes yeah. sense the delineation of those two right. things. Um the Kings and the Mighty Ducks, same thing. In this case, I don't know what the roadmap for success is for the Chargers in Los Angeles, where you you barely have enough fans for the Rams. A lot of the people like the Raiders. Most people are transplants, which you invite right. over to your house every Sunday to watch football, and right. everybody's rooting for a team that's not an L.A. team. Literally. What is the path to success for the Chargers? If they If they hired you and they were like, please help us out, how well, do we win in L.A.? What would you
2: tell them? First thing, what you know they just dealt rivers or rivers is going to go somewhere yeah man the worst thing that could happen to your team is to get that quarterback who's good but not great and he's just there for 13 like Matthew Stafford yeah just wins enough to never bench him or deal him never wins any playoff games never goes to the show but you can never really get rid of him because he's Putting up numbers. You know? You're like Noah Wiley on ER. Yeah, yeah. He can't be the lead of the show, right. but... Yeah, much better to flame out, you know, Ryan like Clooney. Yeah, yeah, just get four... flame out or go Clooney. But don't don't just hang out and put up decent, decent stats. Do you think if they got Brady, it would change how
0: people cared about the Chargers in L.A.? Because I actually don't think people would care.
2: No, I've been around long enough to remember when Namath came to the Rams... Oh, yeah. And man, I, was he broken down? Yeah, he was totally broken down at that point. And it's just like, yeah, we know the name. But also, you know, the thing about sports is you don't get to coast very long on your reputation. It's like pushing a car with four flat tires. It's yeah. just like all Brady would have to do is have two games in a row where he threw three picks and it's like, it's immediately over. Who cares? They'd be calling for whoever the next kid is to come up off the bench. I don't, uh, I think they have to deal, you know, Rivers will be dealt and then they'll get some great mobile quarterback from college like some highlight reel like Tua some trade yeah. up
0: for Tua or something
2: yeah or some young Mike yeah yeah Tua like something like that some exciting electric mobile new new breed NFL quarterback um By the way, the greatest thing to happen to Michael Vick is all these great running quarterbacks in the league now because we used to just talk about him and dogfighting for like the last five years. And now it's not since Michael Vick, not since Michael Vick. And now all of a sudden, he's back on the the happy side of history, right? Definitely.
0: The other thing we haven't talked about... So one of the first times you came on my podcast, you did a whole fake movie for Pedophile,
2: Mm, which was
0: your action movie where a plane carrying the president lands on this island that is basically escaped from New York, where they've just decided to put all the worst people on the, on the world, including a lot of pedophiles. It was
2: a Cub Scout troop originally. It was a Cub
0: Scout troop. Yeah. 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 I screwed that up. Yeah. So Cub Scout troop <laughs> <laughs> lands in pedophile, and then they have to kind of fight their way out. And we did a yeah. couple versions. It was the most popular fake movie done my podcast. Then, I get this email all the time. When are you talking to Crow about this? And I don't mean to make light of it, but we have to at least talk about it. Jeffrey Epstein, one of the worst people we've produced in the last 50 years, actually had an island that it seemed like terrible stuff was happening, and it seemed like the real-life pedophile, and it's almost so crazy I can't wrap my head around it. You did that on my 2009, maybe? 2009? This is a running bit we did on a podcast.
2: Yeah, well, I'd like to talk about it, but my attorneys—I'm suing the estate for ripping (laughs) off my idea. So I I hope you
0: didn't. I hope you didn't get the idea from the
2: podcast. Well, I, you know, Gargus has done. I shouldn't. I probably shouldn't say this, but he's done some due diligence, as he calls it. And uh, how
0: fucking crazy was that? Purchased the
2: island in 2011. So. Who do we have initially? Shia LaBeouf was the lead.
0: It was younger Shia LaBeouf.
2: <laughs> I think LaBeouf was in there. I think John Hamm was the dad. He gets taken down. Yeah, yeah. They they crash landed. They have to survive on the island. I think one of the things that I found interesting is the island had broken off into pockets. You know. yeah sort of different tribes. Yeah, like when you do those Escape from New York's or Warrior type movies, you know, you run into, you know, the bear population. <laughs> <laughs> you run into the an <laughs> otter population. I don't even know what's going on anymore. So, but they have the different populations, you know. It's
0: on YouTube if anyone wants to listen to it. It really is your finest work. It's I, powerful. Listen, I can't believe uh this whole remake culture we're in now, especially where they remake movies as T V shows. I can't believe they haven't redone Escape from New York. Well, they, like, yeah, and make it like you could do Brooklyn. Oh, right. Yeah. They got of it in New mean, York. Like, just make, make it like, man, New York's falling apart. Now we're putting all the criminals in Brooklyn. There's no way out. And yeah. just make that like a 12 episode TV series. It's basically The Purge, but better.
2: Well, I mean, obviously, they did Escape from LA, which, man, is dated. Boy, they, that's a tough one. The special effects are I didn't pretty really rough like on that, that one, one in the time. No. But not. Escape
0: from New York's iconic.
2: Yeah. Well, I got a movie sitting here. Let's do here. it. Let's do it now, and then we can talk about Uppity uh, so, after. Okay. The movie that I did that wasn't Uppity, <laughs> um, it's called um, PTS Drone. Not PTSD, but okay. the D stands for drone. Right? Got it. PTS Drone. So we go into the future. Now, here's the move. It's 2027. I don't want to do that thing where it's the year is 4040 because I'm already out. We're dead. My kids are dead. Their kids are dead. Everyone I know is dead. I want to pick a time where you go, wait a minute, my son's going to be 20. You know what I mean? Like we got to live in this world. All right. All these drones are now being used by the military. Now exclusively. I mean, we're kind of at the point now where, We don't need boots on the ground. We get drones, you know, and the drones have artificial intelligence Mm. and the drones, when we're done with the conflict, come back and they have PTSD. The drones have PTSD. The drones are scarred. They're scarred. Amazon says, you know what? No one knows they have the PTSD. It doesn't show, you know, Amazon hires the drones to do the deliveries. Now there's a whole fleet of domestic drones that have been hired by Amazon to drop off packages, but they start malfunctioning with the PTSD and shooting into the kitchen and going after people. And now we have this whole group of artificial intelligence, PTSD, military drones, and they're all going wild in the United States, and we can't control them. We got one kid. And I think it's either Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> it's too old. Timothy. Uh,
0: oh, Timothy uh, Ch- Chalamet.
2: Chalamet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Him. Him. Chalamet. This guy was a championship Fortnite player, took everything until there was a big Fortnite scandal and he was drummed out oh, of the yeah. circuit, right? That's tough. Now he's back at home, he's eating cereal. His dad wants him to get a job. Somebody's gotta fight these drones. Yeah. Now the only drones we have are the old school drones that don't have artificial intelligence, but someone's gotta fly those drones. I mean, from from a from a an area, from a bunker, but someone physically needs to fly those drones. Right. They don't fly themselves like the new ones do. And there's only one kid who can do it. It's Chalamet. Chalamet right. Or the Sha-
0: who's Chalamet's dad who's overbearing and keeps telling him to get a job, but doesn't realize Chalamet is saving the world. Mm. J.K. Simmons? Yeah, J.K. little too K. close si- to Whiplash? Yeah, yeah. Ham? Want to work Ham in here? Yeah, Ham, Ham. Gray, gray the sides
2: of his hair so he a little older. He comes in, divorced dad, got custody. Yeah. Kid was, you know, we see the room. When we first see him, we pan to all the trophies on the wall from all these all you know, all the battle. Now they have all these yeah. esports and everything. You know, it's all the all that. And then we pan down to him just eating Fruit Loops. You know, sitting on a futon because he's banned from the circuit. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Yeah, but now the mili- We have that thing where the military shows up. You know, the SUVs come pulling up. Who plays Bezos? Because I feel like at some point they have to go
0: to Bezos and be like, "Hey, man." Mm. these drones thing, we, right. we got to stop the operation. It's, yeah, they're I think malfunctioning. We, we get
2: Cranston to shave his head. That's nice. a big move. I like he that. He shaves his head, right? We have Cranston with a shaved head. He's Bezos. He's talking about how much money they could save using the military drones, you know, building the drones themselves. He can get them for pennies on a dollar from the, from the military. It's surplus. We don't, they don't need them anymore. And then someone has to do that thing where it's like, well, these are weapons of war. Yeah, but we'll just re-chip them. They'll just put the new chip in. They'll be fine. It's like, I don't know. You need the scene where they go to Bezos and they tell him,
0: "Look, everything has to stop." And he goes, "Nothing stops." Right,
2: right. I like that. Have to have that. Right. I also have a better title for you. Mm. The droning. The droning. Yeah, it's good. I like the PTS drone. You like PTS like...
0: drone. Well, it's
2: tough. I, I I'd have to massage. But it's it got to follow bit.
0: your rule that they have to say the title of the movie in, in dialogue the movie. during the movie.
2: Yeah. So we have the scene where the blacked out Chevy Suburbans all pull up to the apartment with Ham answers the door, you know, just wearing his boxer shorts. He's like, what? He's like, is your boy in there? He's like, what'd he do this time? Is he in trouble? So... Yeah, that thing where now the military has to coax him into this one last, and you know he he says after he left the circuit he'd never pick up another joystick. At some point, <laughs> they pull him to the bunker, you know, in Cheyenne Mountain, you know, right inside the bunker, and he can run. Has a whole fleet on his. I think we need a voice. I think the drone Morgan Freeman needs a voice. Uh, I was thinking that thing, but I was thinking a little more uh, Jaden Smith. Like like Will oh, go Smith's younger. kids, like a younger, sassy, urban kind of thing. Maybe you know?
0: somebody with a high social media profile.
2: Yeah, talking back, you know that kind of thing. Of course, we got to clear this all through China first. You know, so you want to sure call this PTS good. drone? Well, that's the working title. That's a working title. But I, I, think know, I don't know how they say it. that
0: in the in the dialogue though.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we have it for the slug line. Like maybe. Maybe we do the uh, droned, and then at the bottom we go post traumatic stress drone or something like at the bottom. You know, that's at the bottom of the poster. Is you know? it, are you
0: the most jealous of the purge of any movie that somebody actually made that we could have just thought of on a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> really, like I'm kind of mad. We've spent so much time together over the years. I'm mad we didn't come up with that. The sad part about all our- 24 hours, all crimes are, are all legal. Our, it's like all, they the, had,
2: all the stupid ideas, the problem with all the stupid ideas is I was, when you sit around with the guy who makes it fast and furious in Hobbes versus Shaw and you go, grand theft submarine, that's where the submarine, the Soviet sub pulls up to Pebble Beach and there's cars on the out on the lawn that are millions and millions of dollars and it's a former soviet sub and it's been commandeered by like some you know black market guys and they were going to load them all up and and he just sits there and goes yeah that would work right (laughs) (laughs) you can do that i'm like "Eh." you're like under siege crossed
0: with tin cup yeah that's right crossed with toy soldiers that's right okay uh yeah i thought of I didn't do this with you, but I did half-baked ideas. with Kevin Wilds used to come on my old podcast, and we do these ideas that were like halfway there, not totally there. And I had a whole idea about leap year, which is every four years. Right. Every leap year, there's no... The police disappears for a day. Anything can happen.
2: Mm. Well, that, yeah. So I said that in 2013.
0: Then the purge happened in 2015. I have no idea if leap year affected the purge. It's just basically the same idea. Yeah, I don't know
2: if I should get the well. Involved. I mean, obviously, as part of the lawsuit, you know, With Epstein pedophile. was probably we'll listening. In you there. know, he listens. He, I don't. I don't say he did it because of it, but uh, it seems that there's there's things that indicate he may have.
0: Um, can you talk about your new documentary?
2: Oh yeah, uppity. It's on uh, Netflix as we speak. Oh, we got three movies on Netflix. We have Uppity, we have Shelby American, and we have The 24-Hour War, which is Ford v. Ferrari. So speaking of movies we made that they then made, we made the documentary, The 24-Hour War, like four years ago. And, and then, then that Ford, Ford v. Ford's Ferrari, it's yeah. the same, same movie. And also we we're working on Shelby, who was Matt Damon's character. Uh, Uppity's Willie T. Ribs story. It's the first black driver at Indy. And it's just a crazy story. It's like a Jackie Robinson story that nobody knows about. It's, it's, it's that, you know, people know about a lot of. Inter- I watched it. I learned a lot. I, I didn't,
0: I, my memory of him was just like, oh yeah, that was the one black guy that raced cars. Right. I, other than that, I didn't remember anything, but, but yeah, I mean, he was definitely, uh, a little more polarizing than I remembered. I didn't know well, anything about that world.
2: The thing that was—it's interesting about Willie T—is it's—it's the, the if you watch the doc, you're not—it's—it's it's like it's unclear. Is it racism or is it because he was just a dude that didn't play by the rules? He didn't you know, he it. just did his own thing. Yeah, and that world. Kind of a little button down. Like they just, nobody would jump on the roof of their car and celebrate and do the Ali shuffle and stuff like that. Could just, we didn't do that. They didn't do that. So some of the stuff is racism. And then some of the stuff is just, that's not the way we do things regardless of the color of your skin. And we don't, you don't really know. You have to watch it and kind of see. It's also. He's also alive, which helps. He's also alive, which helps. And you have a big interview with him in it. Yeah, he's in fine form, and he's just a great storyteller, and he's a powerful storyteller. And we met him when we we're doing winning the racing life of Paul Newman. So we're doing the Newman Doc, and when we're doing the Newman Doc, Willie was part of that story because Newman helped him get sponsorship to race in Trans Am. So yeah. we went out and interviewed Willie for the Newman Doc, and then once we we're done interviewing Willie for the Newman Doc, we we're like. This is our next doc. This guy Willie T Rips, super interesting story. Well, it's and on
0: Netflix. All you do the search uppity. It's up there. And, it pops up.
2: and you can go to chassis c h a s s y and get all these things in Blu Ray with all the extras and all the Shelby stuff, and we have them all there. So we have a whole racing website.
0: All right, now we've hit the point of the podcast. That's just for us, mm-hmm. where we get to make fun of Mike August and uh, and Jimmy. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you want to start. You want to start Mike August? Yeah. So you travel, you've been doing way more stand up, and what? you and Mike August, who uh is our longtime friend, who used to work for uh with Baby Doll Dixon, our agent, mm-hmm. and then mysteriously stopped working for Baby Doll Dixon. We're not we're still not sure what happened. Right. Now he's one of the guys that he's he's like your right hand guy.
2: He runs yeah, your he whole little podcast all empire, shows. all that stuff. And yeah. you guys
0: travel together. Yes. At dinner recently, he told us he moved like an hour and a half away for a bigger house, but then has an apartment here that he shares with a couple roommates so he can do all his Corolla stuff. Yes. And then we spent most of the dinner talking about that, trying
2: to get more information. I still don't feel satisfied. He bought a house in Yorba Linda. Right, your Belinda. because <laughs> his family wanted like a yard. yeah, he has to go back and forth all the time from you know here the West side, where I'm at, Glendale and everything else. Your Belinda. his former condo was in Toluca Lake, so he rented it out, but he rented it out to people who don't mind him living there at the same time. So he's a guy in his early fifties, successful, who has roommates, but also a family in a different location. It's a yes. last
0: time movie with with
2: no drama. Yeah, it's uh, it's a mother's nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, and is and you know Mike's greatest. Uh... <laughs> Mike's greatest gift is eating almost everything all the, all the time, just yeah. just devouring food. Because I travel with him, and he just goes he goes ballistic, and also uh, misunderstanding almost every conversation you 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 have with him. That's another one of his. It's definitely definitely
0: somebody handling your business.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he oh, and he drives like a maniac. He yeah. drives like an insane person. And I'll give you a great Mike August, driving like a maniac, and misunderstanding what you're saying conversation. it all be under one, okay. one umbrella. We were doing a show in, God, Minneapolis or something. I can't remember the city. We've been all over the country. And Mike like gets the rental car. And we're like staying out somewhere in the sticks and it's like a 40 minute drive in. And the whole time we're talking, it's like show starts at eight. We should roll into town at like seven. We'll eat dinner and then we'll do the show because after the show, everything's going to be closed. And so Mike's like, all right, well, we'll leave at 630. We'll get to the ten- We'll get there at seven. And then we'll eat dinner and then the shows at eight, we'll do the show. And I said, okay, that's good. So I'll pile in the the SUV and Mike's driving like a maniac as per usual. Mike has this thing where he doesn't think cops exist in other cities. You know, that thing where it's like, oh, I'm not going to drive that way in LA. We got cops, but I'll go to Minneapolis or Baltimore and drive like an asshole. Yeah, they have their own cops. It's not like the LAPD. Goes to Baltimore. They just have their own cops. They hand out their own tickets over there. He drives like a maniac. And there's this dude that's driving in the left lane. And he's just going like 59 miles an hour. And Mike's flipping the high beams at him. Like, get over, get over, get over. (laughs) And when you're in that left lane, what happened to us is the most satisfying thing that could ever happen. Mike eventually swings out to the right gasses it, blasts past him, does the hard tuck right in front of him, just hard, like sends a message, slides in front of him hard, and then hauls ass into the night, right? Uh, Two minutes later, we get lit up by the cops. We're getting pulled over by the cops as the guy who's driving in the left lane is going past us now laughing because we just (laughs) slapped his face. Oh, it's tough. as we're getting pulled over... I'm like, Mike, you didn't have to drive like an asshole. He's like, God damn it, we're getting pulled over. And I t- I'm in the passenger seat. And I go, Mike, Mike, listen to me. Listen to me. It's, you know, because now it's like 6.47 or something. You know, I go, Mike, Mike, you're with Adam Carolla. We're going to town. Show starts at seven. Okay. We're running late. Show starts at seven. And he goes, show starts at eight. And then he looks back at the cop. And I'm like. Of course, I know the show starts at 8. I'm trying to get your ass out of a ticket, you imbecile. We talked about going there to eat five times. Oh, God, I got another great. Oh, my God. I got another great eating story. Well, the funniest
0: part about that story is Mike gets the $380 speeding ticket, but it has you staying at the Red Roof
2: Inn for like $29. Oh,
0: we only. He doesn't understand the math of that.
2: He won't book a hotel unless it starts with the word airport. That's his thing. It has to have airport in front, and then we can he'll consider booking us there. Yeah, I don't know. I think you have to be. I don't think like I don't think Louis C.K. could travel the world with Mike. I think he'd be too upset. I, I, you guys I are like
0: a, you guys are like an old married couple at this point.
2: I I have a high tolerance for for I grew up with my buddies in a constant headlock, you know, yeah. trying to pants me or giving a wedgie or e- you know, eating eating stuff that had fur on it from the refrigerator from someone else's house. It was 7 days old. Like yeah. I'm good. I can do Mike. I don't think most people could handle it. Um we got to make fun
0: of Kim a little bit just because um you know, he's listening to this entire thing.
2: Well, I'm listen. I don't want to undo any goodwill because I had Huey Lewis on my podcast last week. Oh, my God. And, of course, the the conversation turned to uh, in praise of Kimmel. And uh, so my stock is very high with Kimmel right now.
0: You don't want to mess with that.
2: I don't want to undo it. I got a nice email saying, uh, you know, thanks for that's uh, you smart. and Huey. I think you're playing this correctly. That's nice. But this I'll go along with you. No, that's And also, all right. if you're listening, like if Jimmy's listening... You have to understand. I suffer from RCS, like I have restless cock syndrome. I don't sometimes think straightly. I don't speak correctly. The things that come out that I'm really not responsible for because I have this syndrome. Yeah, the RCS. But go ahead. No, it's I'll all right. Listen. I think you're. I think you're right. We should just get a nice text. Thanks <laughs> yeah.
0: for all the nice words. He's a swell friend and a good human being. I concur. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we can listen to the uh, the Adam Carolla podcast. Yeah. How many days are you doing it? Four? Five days a Five week. Five days a week.
2: Yeah, just go to adamcrawl.com or podcast one or whatever. Or All right, Google cool. Google it or something. All right, a pleasure as always. Good to see you.
0: All right, thanks to Jason Siegel. Thanks to Corolla. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget about Rewatchables, Book of Basketball, and Bachelor Party if you want to hear more of me and this week. And why wouldn't you? Having a great week this week. And back on Thursday with a whole bunch of stuff. We'll see you then.